You only get one shot at life, why waste it on sleep? Instead, you're making the right decision here by checking out a review to a kill. This will be our 20th, I believe. Well, technically our 21st, since we did episode 00, as Q would say. So if you don't know by now, this is our James Bond podcast, breaking down the series as a whole and coming to you, of course, from fanboysanonymous.com. That's why you see fanboysanonymous.com written all over the place here. I'm Tony Mango, and knowing to who to trust is everything in this business. And I trust my fellow hosts, Callum Wiggins. I'm passive aggressive fountains of sarcasm. The <laughs> podcaster. Sure you are. <laughs> and Robert D. Felice. I've chosen to waste my life by watching this movie. <laughs> I missed your sparkling personalities. How's that for a punchline? Uh, we are breaking down Die Another Day here. And man, we're going to get into quite a bit of stuff, as you would expect when it comes to Die Another Day. This is episode 0020. And if you don't know the normal stuff by now, um, at least you probably know the rules. And number one is no deals. And number two is to show us your support by hitting that like button, sharing the podcast, subscribing to the channel if you haven't done that already, ringing that little email notification bell, the uh, YouTube member side of things, hit the join button on that, donate to the Patreon, pick up some merch on TeePublic and Redbubble, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and of course, leave a comment below and tell us what you think about Die Another Day and what you think about what we think about Die Another Day and do everything like that. And um, we're just going to kind of get the ball rolling here. As we normally do, we're going to talk about the different title variations, uh, taglines at least. This one is, events don't get any bigger than Die Another Day, which is just bland. Could have been for literally any movie that exists, pretty much, except for like, I don't know, Amelie or something. <laughs> but we got some variations of the title. Most of them, of course, were just variations of Die Another Day. When you get it to where it's something easy to translate then the transliteration isn't all that fun. But we do got some that are interesting variants. Uh, Finland has Death Can Wait. Brazil has 007, A New Day to Die, which we would get, you know, a different variation. The uh, Czech Republic has Don't Die Today. It's like, hey, Thank you. hey, don't you die today. <laughs> Poland has Death Comes Tomorrow. Uh, Russia has the, this is the way that it is. It's uh, worded kind of funny. Die, comma, but not today. <laughs> it's like, hey, why don't you die when it's convenient? <laughs> uh, the Telugu, I think it is. Telugu? I think it's Telugu. Uh, Indian title is World Hero 007, which sounds like a knockoff dollar store type of thing. Like when you see like, um, I don't know, like superhero team, and it's like knockoff Avengers and DC characters and Scooby Doo all mixed in. <laughs> Lithuania has congratulations on dying the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the worst greeting card ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just big congratulations on the first part, and then you open it up, and it's like on dying the next day. Love Tony. <laughs> And my favorite of the bunch here is from Taiwan. Who was fighting? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who is fighting? That's the Taiwanese title. So, so someone's just sitting back watching the movie and says, Who's fighting here? 
Yeah. It, what the fuck's happening? What do we call this movie? Who's fighting? <laughs> Working titles for this were the one that I had heard because I, you know, by this point I had been a long um, Bond fan for a couple of years at this point, and I was able to see and track things on like um, I think it was uh, called CommanderBond.net at the time or something, and MI6.net, some other websites that had existed back then. They might still exist now. Where all leading up to this, all I'm hearing is, you know, the uh, the next Bond film, like what's it going to be called or whatever, was going to be called Beyond the Ice. And I was always thinking, mm, I don't really like that a whole lot, but, you know, it could be worse. And I kept thinking at the time, Icebreaker would be kind of make, that would make sense if they had some kind of plot based off of like an avalanche or whatever. Because, you know, you get like an icebreaker when you're speaking with somebody or whatever. But there's a chance that that was actually just fake and it was never a working title. I haven't been able to confirm whether or not that's true. Same thing for a couple of the other ones. One of them being Cold Fusion, which I'm glad wasn't the title. One of them being Black Sun, which I don't think works because they don't blot out the sun or anything. So it's kind of just nothing. Another one being Nobody Lives Forever, which would have been fine, but a little bit blah. Nobody lives <laughs> forever. <laughs> and another one, just Juggernaut. Which immediately makes me just think of, I'm the Juggernaut bitch. <laughs> so <laughs> if we would have had Zao in the middle of this, just say that, then maybe that would have been a different story. But um, The title itself, Die Another Day. It comes from a poem. And... It's actually kind of one of my favorite titles in the series. So I'm glad that they went with that. What do you guys think about the title? It's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's it has a nice flow to it. it. It does feel like something that Bond would say, or Bond would, but how Bond lives his life, like he kind of feels, yeah, I'm going to die eventually, but just not going to be today. <laughs> I'm going to die, but tomorrow. Yeah, and he says that's the rest of his life and he lives forever. Yeah, <laughs> and Russia's like, "Hey, well, we said die, but not today. And as long as it's today, Czech Republic school with it, because don't die today." With Lithuania just saying congratulations. <laughs> the only problem I have with it is that every time I even think "die another day," Madonna's voice comes into my head. <laughs> so there is that, but I do like the title. Some other random notes before we get started that I should have put just somewhere random. I don't know. Um, this was Brosnan's least favorite. Not surprised. <laughs> no. Roger Moore publicly didn't like it either. He eventually called the car a low point for the series. All right. Listen here, motherfucker. We were in some shitty <clears throat> Bond film. Like, that car is a low point. They could have just brought back the pigeon. <laughs> with these movies they don't make pigeons do double takes anymore <laughs> they just they lost their way you know there's a funny note here after the release of the movie pierce brosnan was approached by a man in a dublin bar who asked to shake his hand brosnan complied and then cracked up when the man quipped that's the closest my hand will ever get to halle berry's ass <laughs> <laughs> Was that man Ric Flair by chance? <laughs> <laughs> Just a woo in the middle of that, you know. Um, Halle Berry needed a 30-minute operation to remove debris from her eyes that uh, had been from a smoke grenade at one point in this during the shootout from the 
uh, Havana medical facility. Oh, she's lucky it was just debris and it wasn't the Gouda. Ah, uh, I get it. That was a Jeez. cheesy joke. <laughs> Mythbusters tried out the hovercraft stuff, found out that it works. They were like, what the hell? It works. <laughs> that it can go over the mines and everything. They were thinking about giving a spinoff to Jinx, just the same as the Waylon thing. And the reason why it got pulled, because it was in a little bit of pro- uh, the scripting process, actually, was Charlie's Angels Full Throttle and Lara Croft 2 both underperformed. So the low box office performance for those killed off oh, the so Jinx movie. That means women can't draw, so we're not yep. doing... Okay. Got that you. was the whole nobody wants to see a female action movie, so we're not going to do it. Which is like, well, people want to see anything if it's good. Just do good things, and eventually people. This you is know. pre Catwoman, Halle Berry, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, Catwoman's 2004, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when that is. This is when she was getting her nomination for Monsters Ball. She got that on yeah. the set of when they're doing the bikini shot, apparently, and um. Of course, they went nuts over that. It's like, we got an Oscar winner in a Bond film. <laughs> it's like, well, you didn't know that at the time. <laughs> yeah. So it's a shame to see that, like, we could have gotten a Jinx movie and two other movies just kind of bonked it off. But that happens. Um, North Korea, of course, was not a big fan of this movie. And I wonder why. Some people tried to smooth over relations a little bit and say like well you know it's not that north korea is the villain it's a villain who happens to be from north korea and it's you know whatever and the director lee tamahori said quote to hell with north korea it's a basket case country and the sooner its leaders all roll over and die the better <laughs> so you gotta imagine the pr people were like uh, all right <laughs> Like, well, we don't say North Korea is the... Then he's just like, fuck them! And then they go, god damn it. <laughs> they had asked Michael Bay to direct. Why? He, it wasn't enough bullshit? Like, <laughs> we need a bunch of explosions on top of what we already have? Uh, it could have been. Fox party wasn't old enough yet. It was, uh, he turned it down because he wanted to do Bad Boys 2. Which I've not seen Bad Boys 1, but I have seen Bad Boys 2. That was one of those movies that uh, I just kind of randomly went to the theater for. And two of the other directors that would have been in the works for this were Brett Ratner, who had done Rush Hour, which Rush Hour is great. And Brett Ratner, not so much, based off of what we've heard over the past couple of years. And Brian Singer, who, The Usual Suspects and the first two X-Men movies, great. And then you find out some stuff about Brian Singer and you go, oh, okay. So <laughs> funny enough, Brett Ratner and Brian Singer are all over each other when it comes to swapping projects. Uh, Brian Singer had done the first two X-Men movies. Brett Ratner did the third one because Brian Singer went and did Superman Returns, which Brett Ratner was in the mix for. And they kind of like during this time frame, it was like Rat- uh, Ratner and Singer all over the place for different projects. And if, if one doesn't do it, the other one does and they pass and the other one does it and whatever. So we could have gotten more of a rush hour feel. We could have gotten more of a X-Men and usual suspects feel or we could have gotten a whole lot more explosions. And I'm sure there would have been shots in the movie if Michael Bay would have done this where it would have been that magic hour and 
you know, Icarus is doing something and it's like the, the perfect glow from like 6 p.m. in California kind of thing or something. This movie could have been even more bonkers. Funny enough. It's hard to imagine oh. in some cases. Look, I think we got enough of the X-Men is popular. Let's do some action movie shit. So this, and I've told Tony this a lot over the last week since I've seen the film, this was Bond 2000. And yes, I know it came out after the year 2000, but this is very much that like, we're in the 2000s now. Look at all the weird shit we're going to do. Yeah, it gets that kind of feeling in an almost nauseating way at different points in this movie. Were you feeling the same thing as uh, most people were when it comes to that, Callum? I think that there is the semblance of a good movie. Oh, yeah. In this. Yes. <clears throat> it's absolutely torpedoed by just, I'd say, irresponsible production. Yes. It's probably the, it's probably the first. It's like, it's almost negligible. Like you kind of feel like you should get some sort of uh, damages paid back to you after watching this movie in terms of production. Well, Tony said that they've apologized since, haven't they? Yeah, they have pretty much approached this as, sorry, we thought we had the right idea what you guys wanted, and it seems like we didn't, and we'll do better. And that's one of the reasons why Casino Royale is being so different from what it is. Yeah. But just, it's just a case of like, almost feel like just sitting there watching it in the theater if you were watching it at that time. And you just like an advert at the end comes up that says like, have you just watched Die Another Day? Well, you may be entitled to compensation, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to file your class action lawsuit for being a James Bond fan who watched this movie, I don't know where you can send it to, but you know, somewhere in Pinewood, I guess. <laughs> I, I will preface that with the saying, I don't dislike this movie. There's I, I, like my I, I have I have serious issues with the production. The actual story I don't have much complaints about in general. My overall assessment for this movie has pretty much remained the same from the very first reaction that I had, which is this is a good movie by a bad writer. And the writers have done other stuff. Like this is the, the team that's been working on other ones, so I don't know why it ended up being a problem. But it's half parody and half, I think this is what a Bond movie is, and not realizing, like, the proper tone and the right balance of different things. And then the other part is just kind of like, well, is it good or is it bad story-wise and whatever? And it's like, I really like a good chunk of this, and the other part of it just completely kills it. Kind of like when we were talking about Tomorrow Never Dies, where we're like, you know, this is a lot of, lot of good stuff going on here until we get to this other point, and then it ends up just kind of being kind of blah. This is more so, well, you got some good core ideas going on, but you went a little too far in some directions, and it ruins everything. You're going to hear some positives when it comes to Die Another Day that you might not normally hear from other people, and then you're going to hear a lot of negatives that you hear from everybody. So... so for me, I was so close to just being like, oh, it wasn't great, but it's fine. I've been through the more films. I've seen camp. And then at the end of the day, it's the production that seals this movie's fate because it's overdone. And it's so, 
Maybe it's because these specific tropes were so played out throughout that time that you look at it now and you're just like, oh, it's so dated. It's more dated than the three films with Brosnan that came before it. This is such a dated movie. And um, Callum's been doing a running of how many times he's going to have to use the words gunpoint. Well, how many times are we going to talk about the words speed ramp? <laughs> speed ramp it. is all over the place in this. I'm going to say it at least a dozen times, I'm sure. But Yeah, well, at least I mixed up a little bit. I have a mixture of gunpoint and sword point in this. Uh, <laughs> this <one. laughs> That's good. Well, let's start off with the gun barrel. The oh, very sorry. first disappointment of the movie. A bullet flies to the screen, and they try to justify yeah. this, saying, we, we thought that it'd be fun and different, and they specifically say in the commentary, we didn't plan on doing this going forward, we thought it'd be just a fun thing for the 20th film, and I audibly, in the theater, went, ugh, when I watched this, because I was just like, don't, we'll do that. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's dumb. It's it's very dumb. A lot of times on these podcasts for these Bond films, Tony goes, ah, oh, did you notice the music and the gun barrel? And we're just like, eh, not really. It was just a gun barrel. It was good. This music, from the very minute go, you're just like, oh, okay, this is different. And the bullet flies at me, and I text Tony, so this is a 3D film? Yeah? <laughs> no, the bullet just flies. Yeah, 3D was not a thing coming around at that point yet. Avatar was a little bit of way off, and it became the sort of thing where they just wanted to make people jump. That's what they said. I, w yeah. I will preface this again by saying Tony's going to have an opinion about the next movie's gun barrel, which I'm totally not going to agree with, but we'll save that for the actual movie. We're going to have less of a disagreement about that, then I think you think. Okay. But then I'm going to go vehemently against things with the next couple after that. <laughs> Fine. So, you know, um, but we will have a disagreement about it too. Cause yeah, there's some problems with it in my mind, but this is just like, I mean, the music for it too. It's like, it's just like, what the hell are you doing here? We're and in I, the 2000s, man. Everything is funky and techno-y and oh my God. Look at this, the bullet's gonna fly at you, and uh, this is too much. I will say, too, I love a lot of the music in this, because David Arnold is great. So I will gush about David Arnold here and there, but the the opening gun barrel, to me, was just one of those things where I was just like, ugh. Oh, God, we're not doing this going forward. So, I, I don't mind the music on its own, but again, like, for this franchise just so much of it felt out of place and in my uh collection the ones that like i was like you know i like this enough that i would uh i would keep this going forward i've got let's see what we got here one two three four five six seven eight songs from the this soundtrack in my music collection uh they're titled if anybody wants to know um the james bond theme remix that Paul Oakenfold did, which I had linked you guys in our Skype chat if you guys hadn't heard this. Big fan of that. Um, 
hovercraft chase at the beginning, going down together at the end, Jinx and James, Jinx Jordan, which she's not called Jinx Jordan in the film, so I don't know why they call her Jinx Jordan on the soundtrack. On the beach, the beginning of the movie, A Touch of Frost, and White Out. All those songs are fantastic. And we will talk plenty of other music stuff a little bit later on too, but um, in a lot of ways, actually, even with On the Beach and the, the hovercraft thing, and in general, the opening of this movie past the gun barrel being a disappointment is pretty damn good and it progressively uh gets worse and <laughs> goes downhill from pretty much that point onward yes we start off with seeing three people surfing in north korea it is apparently not of course north korea but it's somewhere where it's like those are the biggest waves in the world to surf so impressive that they did it i'm not really super into the surfing scene so they, the, the surfing happens, then they land on a beach, and it looks like Normandy in 1944. Yeah. I just looked at it and thought, oh my god, we've travelled back for like 60 years to to uh, World War Two. just like Bond's ancestor that we're watching right now. Like, Bond's been in space, Bond's been underwater, now Bond's in back in time, and you know, that kind of thing. God, I hope they never do that in a show. Like, in a show. One of those picture shows. Old timey. I'm going back in time here. Uh, I hope that they never do that in one of the movies where it's just like somebody invents time travel or some kind of bullshit like that. But it is a little bit strange. Of course, most of it is just like the back lot of Pinewood and some of it. I think that the shot that you're talking to, I'm pretty sure that was in England. And if I remember correctly, I think that they said that that was Cornwall. Might not be right about that. Yeah, yeah. Coasts. Coast to East, it wouldn't surprise me if it was uh, Cornwall. I say that with the um, forefront knowledge that I have no idea where Cornwall is. So I'm I like, went, I think I that they Cornwall. said Cornwall. What the fuck do I know? <laughs> I went to Cornwall all the time as a kid. Was our, um, like holidays because we always used to do uh, domestic holidays. We, usually, we, ne- we hardly ever travelled abroad. So Cornwall was our destination. Did you Can happen to stumble across any World War II paraphernalia at the time? <laughs> Uh, no. I mean, a few people walking around with Nazi symbols, but other than that... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a hell of a vacation. Yeah, that's just the English Defence League for you. <laughs> so one of those three surfers is Bond. And again, I do like the music in the scene, and I like that they're doing some kind of spy work. Like, we got some gadgets going on here, the surfboard and the knife or Q-branch tech. They reroute this helicopter. Bond's trust exactly the, the guy, Mr. Van Bierk who he takes over for. And those sunglasses are apparently Brosnan's glasses. He was just like, oh, I've had those glasses for years. And I just wore them on the set and figured that that'd be kind of cool. And um, Brosnan, or well, Bond, it's not like Brosnan's doing these things. Bond places C4 in the briefcase with the diamonds. So we've already got three gadgets with the knife, the surfboard, and the watch with the detonator. Just right out of the gate. One, two, three, like that. We are in the demilitarized zone with Colonel San... Uh, Sun- not Sun Tan Moon. I always want to say Sun Tan Moon. Colonel Tan Sun Moon. Where I he honestly is... thought you were going to say Colonel Sanders, and I was going to go, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> no, we're definitely not there in Colonel Sanders. <laughs> the... It's going to be Colonel Sun and Moon from Pokemon. Yeah, then he's going to be Col- uh, Colonel Ultra Sun and Moon later on in the movie. <laughs> he is whacking a heavy bag, and it turns out that there is a person inside that he's uh, teaching a lesson to. He says, that'll teach you not to lecture me. And it turns out it's his anger management therapist. <laughs> That's some funny shit. I love that. That's good. 
Clearly, it's effective therapy. That is my absolute favorite moment from the villain in this movie. So his very first scene is his peak. And then afterward, the villain is no longer as good in my mind. I, I think there's, he does have some more redeemable qualities later in the movie. Yeah, I think we'll get to something later on that I like a little bit more, but this is really good. We also meet Zhao. He introduces himself. I am Zhao. You are late, which the first time I'm watching this movie, I was expecting him to say, no, I am Bond, <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> me Tarzan, you Zhao. Yeah, me Tarzan, you Zhao. Me late. <laughs> I, I think more would have said, I know, I am Bond, James Bond. Who would have just uh, done his trademark, uh, Roger Moore, look to the side and quip something. He, um, Zhao, I mean, he, pronouns pal, uses a phone to scan Bond's face. And it's about time that these people catch up to Zorin from a view to a kill, right? Yeah, for real. You think uh, decades worth of trying to see if we can figure out if this guy's a spy or anything, you know? Colonel Moon says that he studied at Oxford and Harvard and he majored in Western hypocrisy, which I find funny. And uh, Bond says, well, you know, that's kind of uh, surprising based off of your big collection here of sports cars in the DMZ, which I've never quite understood. I think it's just to pinpoint the fact, again, the hip, the hip, hypocrisy of the entire thing is the fact that he is representative of North Korea, which is obviously a big communist state, and he is living in luxury, seemingly. It's like, oh, one rule for us, one rule for the actual people that actually have to live in communist societies. And uh, Brosnan had said on the commentary his five-year-old son was on set when they were doing this, like, sequence, uh, the action sequence. And after watching all these um, squibs go off and these explosions and Brosnan's running around shooting things and whatever, his son said, are the cars okay? Can we see the cars? <laughs> and he was just like... Yeah, let's see the cars. Just kind of like you're trying to impress a five year old kid, and he's just like, "Cars are cool." And you're like, "I'm James Bond, well, damn it!" Like, <laughs> kind of. well, they are. I mean, cars are cool. Uh, the diamonds are meant to be exchanged for a series of hovercrafts that float over the landmines that are in the area. And Brosnan had said that driving these were it was so difficult that it was equated to driving a bar of soap. I just can't imagine working. But, uh, you know, Mythbusters tried it. Like I said, they said that this works. So, uh, Bond can't. Yeah, they didn't try the, the bar of soap. <laughs> they maybe should, they should have tried that one. That would have been a different story. Um, Bond can't help himself. He makes a joke about don't blow it all at once, which I find funny. Just can't, you know, it's like the Riddler. Just like, I tried not to. Put a riddle down, but uh, I gotta do it. You know, there's a bomb there. Ah, fuck. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Zhao's phone gets back to him with a reading informing him that Bond is, as he says, a British assassin. And Moon thinks about it. Decides to blow up his escape ride. And, you know, well, what are you gonna do now, Mr. Bond? It's very, like, old school kind of villain, you know, Mr. Bond. I know that you're James Bond kind of a moment. And they have a little back and forth here. Moon says that Bond won't live to see the day that 
all of Korea is ruled by the North. And Bond says, well, we have that in common, <laughs> which is a good line. <laughs> Uh, General Moon, Colonel Moon's dad, heads that way after the explosion star. Bond triggers the C4, uh, embeds um, diamonds in Zhao's face, which go throughout the whole film. You guys think about the whole thing with uh, diamonds in the face? I like it. It's a good aesthetic. What did you have to say? Yeah. Uh, It's just like, it could have been cool, but maybe it's because the character didn't strike with me i just eh. originally that wasn't like planned at the early stages they just wanted him to be an albino and then they were like well why don't we do something like this you know jaws is cool let's do something that's kind of an homage this movie is filled with why don't we do an homage to blank and just necessarily not as good (laughs) sort of a thing this chart but at this point bond this is 20 films and bond's been around for a while so there's a lot of room for all those kinds of homage you got practically i think every movie has some homage and some of them are real stretches people are like you know the homage to this one is like somebody gets a knife thrown at them and that happens and it's like no come on that's not an homage but the uh the general idea about a lot of these ideas are coming from previous things I think we get a pretty damn good hovercraft sequence here. We got flamethrowers, machine guns, kind of a shootout and a car chase mixed in. I like the hovercraft sequence. Very action-packed. There were a lot of explosions. I'm surprised that Michael Bay wasn't actually directing this. Imagine how much more it would be. Yeah. Yeah, just considering how many, like, one hovercraft gets knocked over a little bit. I think it goes off a ramp or something and just immediately blows up. Homage. (laughs) And it ends with Bond jumping up and grabbing onto a bell. It's in this little like monastery looking thing off of a cliff, which Colonel Moon goes off of. And he, you know, in true 007 for me jokes, saved by the bell. But he's not. General Moon's forces show up. He's outnumbered. So in a weird first time scenario, Bond is captured and tortured for over a year. Yeah, we. Uh, that's also something that plays out during the title sequence, which yeah, they wanted which, to do, which I fucking hated. Oh, this is this is by far and away the best credit sequence so far. See, I am going to be the middle ground between you two. I think that if on paper, this is amazing. But the execution feels a little bit weird to me. And for anybody who doesn't know the, I mean, if you've seen it, you know what it is, but it's a mixture of scorpions and water and ice and fire and diamonds and women and Brosnan's torture scenes and random stuff like just like eyeballs and reflections of things and lava women. Like, I like that, like, you get to see Bond being tortured, but I, I don't like how they do some of that. But I really, really like, like for every part that they show just the same shot of him being dunked in the water that I don't like, I love that they show things like the fireworks women, that they're all like these electrical sparks. And it's like, oh, that's because they're using these electric shockers on them. Cool. And you see like the lava woman is like warming bond to keep him going from like the cold and whatever. And I'm like, man, if they tweak a couple things, this is 
like Callum says, the best. But at the time watching it in the theater, for the very first time, I'm going, why is Bond getting tortured? I don't like this. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I, I didn't hate that he was getting tortured. I, j- I didn't like that this was happening during the song amid the visuals. Because I like like the silhouette of the girls. I thought that was one of the better visuals. But like all the while, you're trying to watch Bond get tortured and you're trying to pay attention to Madonna's mix of funk and techno and pop. And I'm like, there's too much going on here. I, I appreciated how thematic it was and how it just all tied into the 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 whole torture scene because I like the aspect this is something that we haven't seen from Bond and I'm always I know there's a Bond formula and I do like that it mostly sticks to it but I like a bit of difference every now and again and seeing Bond in a situation of complete and total peril for the entire opening credits I thought was a, a very good change of pace something that I wish they kind of stuck with or pushed with a little bit more throughout the movie but the fact that he was trapped away having to deal with all this stuff the fact that you have like the sparks coming up and that's where how the women form up and ice and all this other stuff so basically every remnant of his torture scorpions all the other stuff was demonstrated throughout this entire thing and yeah i thought i really just really dig the visuals of this entire thing i thought it was excellent so let's talk about the theme <laughs> theme is one of the most hated of the entire series, and I will say I actually like the song quite a bit, but I wholly admit this is a bad Bond theme. It's not the type of song that fits with that, but the song itself, I like listening to. I've got multiple versions of it. I like, I got some remixes and everything. I love the violin uh, part of it. And if you make some tweaks, just like a lot with this movie, I think it ends up being a great theme. It's just when you got like, it's a little too poppy and you know, a little, the effects that they use on it throws me off. But more than anything, Sigmund Freud analyzed this. Oh Mm. no, just no. (laughs) All right. So this is my first experience with a bond song ever from childhood. Like I heard this song a lot. I, this is when like I was kind of understanding what the movie was outside of just, oh, I know James Bond because Goldeneye. Like, this is the beginnings of me going, okay, this is kind of a good song because it's, I know the song first. And I still like the song, like, a, a lot. I just also hate the song as a Bond song. And the whole Sigmund Freud. It's like Madonna was doing too much here. I think if anybody else sings this song, exact same words and just changes up the mood a little bit, it's a great song for Bond, but there's too much. Hey, look over here. We got Madonna. And, you know, isn't it so of the time? Like they were trying too hard to modernize Bond. And I think, it it failed and the the song ultimately is going to stand out as one of those but like tony said as a song love it so i 
pretty much when I when I first heard this song, like the original reaction was like, oh, it's a bit too techy. It's a bit too bouncing around all over the place. It's it's yeah, a bit a bit too pop for a Bond song. But as I've gotten to just listening to it more, I kind of appreciate the fact that it, again, it's something different. It's a bit more. I, I I like the lyrics going along with it. I think that Madonna, for the most part, performs this well. It's it's one of those things where I just go along the lines of, it's a interesting interpretation of a Bond song, which is hurt by the fact of Madonna's insistence that she's Madonna. <laughs> and so she has to do stuff like the Sigmund Freud analyze this and stuff like that. And the um, they don't show it in this in the actual theme itself, but when you listen to like the full song, the bit where she goes like, "I have to leave now" and that sort of stuff, it's like, "What?" It's like, no, nobody does this stuff yeah. except you. And I know you doing that made you who you are, but that's like, I don't, I don't need to listen to that sort of thing. You've got everything else kind of fine for me. Also just digging into it afterwards i had to, i had to look into it and figure out what came first this movie or kim possible i believe it's kim possible i i do believe it is kim possible and i just like this sounds a lot like the kim possible thing that same sort of tune in like the, the same like techie style tune to it and it just like it almost makes me feel like I know I know that wouldn't have happened because obviously the soundtrack would be made probably well before the first episode of Kim Possible ever came out. But you must feel like somebody maybe got hold of that recording for hmm, maybe we can do something with this. Get Madonna involved. Never seen it. No idea what it's, it is. <laughs> it's oddly enough, they almost sync up to be right around the same time. So the show premieres in 2002 like around the spring of 2002 and the movie comes out a little bit later on in the year like there's a christmas release right november something i think i don't remember for right. sure yeah so, I think it's November 2002. so the series premiere of kim possible is june 7th and it almost does kind of sync up almost like there was somebody who maybe, you know, knows somebody who had kind of like an in on either side. So I was like, oh, we can kind of work these vibes in. Uh, and Tony hasn't seen it. So yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I can picture the character if I'm thinking of the right character, just like a cartoon of a, a character. I've just never seen it, so I have no idea. But the... um. The theme is something that a lot of people really, really rag on. I think that it's justifiable to rag on it in a lot of ways if you're more traditional with a lot of the Bond music because it's like, this sounds completely different from Goldfinger. This sounds completely different from You Only Live Twice, from License to Kill, Thunderball, Goldeneye. So if you're looking for that feel, it definitely doesn't feel like it. But the song itself, I like listening to. It's a fun song, so I don't hate it as much as a lot of other people do. I uh, much like you guys had said with Living I Die, where they just it gets into that part where it's like, uh, uh, what does it matter to yeah. you? <laughs> uh, so for me, when Madonna just starts going, uh, it's just like, what, why, why you're ruining a good song because the song again, it is good, 
but Madonna has to be Madonna because, as I believe is the title of one of her more recent singles, Bitch, I'm Madonna. Like, it's that is the spirit of everything she does. And I, I just can't get on board fully as a Bond theme. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, I had Die Another Day um, just below Live and Let Die on my list. But as you bring that up, I'm like, you know what? More than thinking about it, I put Die Another Day above Live and Let Die, which is even more controversial, I think, because I've got multiple versions of Die Another Day in my collection, and I've got one version of Live and Let Die, and I don't listen to the full version of the song. Anytime it ever, I listen to the beginning of it, and then by the time we get into the whole what does it matter to you part, I just hit skip and go to the next song. So that bumps that up a little bit. And um, So I do believe it's going to go above... Uh, the world is not enough for me because again I do like the song and sometimes you just have to take that into account but um, Die Another Day just not a great Bond song for me Calum's got it around the mid range right I think you got it at number 10 right now yeah yeah, 10. yeah have it um, under Live and Let Die because I think at it's best Live and Let Die is better than Die Another Day and Living it, die is great. And the um the transition does it. It annoys me. It's like they're both in that sort of range, but they both overall I like, but then they do something which annoys me. Yeah. The actual song. So we're gonna come back to that a little bit later on and do our full ranking breakdown and uh you know balance out the numbers and everything. But yeah, you know, we'll save that for the end. Um time for our bridge of spies and not the Steven Spielberg movie. We find out that Bond's been tortured for a whopping 14 months. And like I said, my gut reaction was that I didn't like it. And I was just kind of like, oh man, this movie, you got the, the gun barrel thing and Bond's getting tortured. And I got this feeling where I was just like, between that and the theme and doing the title sequence where he's getting tortured in it. I was like, this whole movie is going to be, we're doing something different for the sake of doing something different, as opposed to let's try to do something good. And funny enough, they do half doing something different for the sake of it and half let's just do what we've done before for the sake of it. And I think that they kind of, in a lot of ways, they do the opposite for the two parts that they should have. Like, again, we're going to talk about it later. It's like, you shouldn't have done the speed ramps just for the sake of like, well, that's different. But then doing a couple things like uh, seeing Bond with a full beard and long hair and like he's auditioning for the leading castaway or something. It was like, all right, well, you know, if Bond got tortured, this is interesting. We get to see Bond looking like that, which we've never seen before. Yeah, I I enjoyed this next portion where he's not himself and he has great interactions with, you know, those torturing him. And eventually, as he gets rescued with his main allies but at first it was like such a shock to me it felt like they were just taking a break from the formula just to do it but i do think that this produced some of the best content in the movie yeah i really enjoyed him just looking different just him being like when he gets onto the bridge and he's led over onto the other side he's basically like he's not making jokes. 
he's not really doing much of anything like that. He's just pretty. He's not again. He's being sarcastic because, as he talks about later, he's trying not to reveal anything or let them know anything along those lines. So he's being sarcastic, but he's not being jokey anymore. He's being serious. You know, this has taken a mental toll on him. And that's something that I wish had been played upon a bit more in the rest of the movie because he yeah. kind of just reverts back to type almost immediately <laughs> yeah. yeah he refuses to talk and they bring him to what it seems like is his inevitable death they chat about how moon knows that his son had gotten corrupted and bond says the firing squad should have killed him long ago but he's defiant to the end he says basically you know just kill me already like you're not getting anything out of me you might as well just shoot me can we uh dispense the pleasantries i think is what he says and moon Prize him for information one more time. He says, my son had an ally in the West. Who is it? And Bond says, I don't know. It's the same person who betrayed me, which is true. You know, they train their guns on him. He starts walking and there's a trade-off instead. Bond for Zhao, which we get to see our first shot of the whole, like, you know, Zhao's got the diamonds in his face and whatever. And there's that kind of like, I'm going to get you. No, I'm going to get you kind of a thing. Uh, facilitating Bond's trade is Charles Robinson, the MX6 agent from the last two films, not the WWE referee. Although, if you like WWE, go check out Smart Cut Moment. Charles Robinson is great, especially WrestleMania 24. And there's also a US agent named Damian Falco, played by Michael Madsen, which is one of the most off the wall, I never saw that coming castings in my mind, because I had only really known him from Reservoir Dogs at this point. So to me, it was like, Mr. Blonde is in a Bond film. What the hell? <laughs> you know, I'm imagining this dude's going to start uh, carving somebody's ear off and everything. And instead, he's basically USM. He's uh, he's pissed. He says, oh, look at him. You'd think that he was some kind of a hero. Dude, Bond has saved the world at least 20 times by now. Likely Americans upwards to like are 50. Ungrateful. Yeah, they really Americans are. And they're ungrateful. like that's that's what we're going with here. They're losing their uh, stuff and uh <laughs> they get their news from CNN. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know what the context he's saying that in though. Yeah, but it is kind of like uh you think it's some kind of here and it's like dude, even if he gave up something, this guy saved the world from nuclear holocaust and the atlantis stuff and the moonraker stuff and whatever like we don't even see all of his missions and we know that he's done wait if he did one of these he's done more than most people do in their entire lives you know like so i just find that kind of funny it's like yeah he is some kind of hero he's uh the best of you and the medical assessment comes out relatively clean. He's got scorpion venom and the antidote in his system. What they were doing was they were stinging him with the scorpion and then administering the antidote just to kind of keep him going. I really like that when they're doing this assessment, they go, oh, his liver's not all that good. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they say his liver's not too good. It must be him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's gotta be Bond, you know? like His <laughs> liver's not good, so... Uh, all that drinking's catching up to Bond, which is like... Funny to think, like, the way that Bond could go, realistically, is just, like, 
some kind of liver disease or something just from drinking liver so disease, much. STD, something. Yeah. <laughs> Not one of the missions. It's like this guy has survived billions of ways to die. Syphilis got him or something. <laughs> M comes to see him in the hospital. She's pissed. Uh, she says that trading Bond wasn't really what she wanted. It was too high of a price to give up Zhao, and Bond agrees. He's like, you know, I would have rather died in prison than let him out. I didn't ask for a trade. And I really like the little line exchange they have where she says, well, you had your cyanide. And he says, threw it away years ago. What the hell is this about? Because that's a very Bond kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking kill myself. What is this all about? I love that. Yeah, yeah it, does, it, it does make sense that a guy like him wants to be killed rather than to take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And he'll be fighting until the end. Like, there's maybe there's a chance he gets out of it instead of just, oh, I'm going to give up. And M is back to establishing her balls of steel. And I enjoyed that. I really think that this relationship between this Bond and this M is the best. My favorite, too. And long story short, the Americans think that Bond cracked under the torture and he gave up information that led to one of their uh, people getting killed. So M basically had to extract Bond before he was hemorrhaging information, as she says. And in her mind, he had so many drugs in his system and he was so out of it that he wouldn't even know that he, if he talked, which is like, you know what? I buy it. Like M has every reason to feel that way, you know? So it's not just like M's like, oh, you got caught and I'm mad at you. It's like, no, she... I think she's justified. Yeah, I think it's a fair enough assessment. She can't just treat Bond as different to everyone else, even though she says he's the best that's like he's the best that they've got. He can still he's still human after all. Right. Bond knows, of course, that that's not true. And he knows that there's a mole that set him up, but his double O status is taken away. He's not allowed to leave. And we get the first of many speed ramp, zooming, tracking pan, whip shot, slow motion shit things when mm. we get uh, this weird thing that they tried to do. it's That's mixed in with this overlay of the same footage that we've just seen in the trailer, and then the trailer, in the title well, sequence. It, it, they, I, I think the thing they're trying to get across is that Bond, in order to essentially... Mm-hmm stay sane during his time being tortured, learned meditative techniques, uh, perform meditative techniques. Which is great. Yeah. Like, and again, so, it's yeah. it's like on paper, fantastic idea. Yeah. And so he uses the meditative techniques to put himself into cardiac arrest. By he, essentially, quote unquote, switching his heart off. Yeah, he fakes doing that. He gets mouth to mouth from a hot nurse, which he says, thanks for the kiss of life. <laughs> shocks the people that are with him which is really really dangerous of course but Mm. you know and then it's just the matter of like if they filmed it differently I wouldn't hate it but I hate the way they filmed it because the the actual part of like the meditative state the cardiac arrest getting out of it awesome but the just to like uh, we can do this now so let's do it like man Nah, that's a lot yeah. of this movie production. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's all. It's not all, but like so much of this is just due to production thinking it's 
thinking that they needed to do something here. So and they could have just go, like filmed it. I'll go a step further. That didn't click because I had just thought we were seeing a quick flashback and oh my god, he's in cardiac arrest because I thought that they were just going, hey, look at all the traumatizing shit that happened to Bond. But oh, you thought they were going more for like a PTSD kind of thing? Yeah, that's what I thought they were doing. But now that you've explained it, that makes a lot more sense and is actually great. Uh, so Bond, soaking wet, wearing hospital attire with his beard and scraggly hair and all, casually walks into this yacht club hotel and asks for his usual suite, which the guy's just kind of like, uh, what? Like, sort of thing. But thankfully, another guy recognizes him, Mr. Chang. And he's just like, hey, you know, Mr. Bond, what have you been up to? Uh, and Bond asks for some food and his tailor. And he's just like, hey, the lobster's good. We got some sliced seaweed and whatever. And looks like you've been busy. And Bond says, just surviving. I love that line. I like that little exchange. It's just so good. They're like, yeah, I'm just surviving. And now we're going to see Bond return to form here. Yeah. It's a little too quickly, as Callum said, but it's good to see it back. And it's almost kind of like, I mean, at this point, just uh, ignore the beginning of the movie in a lot of ways. He's already cleaned himself up, shaved his hair, cut, uh, you know, everything that goes along with that. He's drinking some of his Bollinger, it seems, and his lobster and quail eggs and whatever is probably already eaten. But there's stuff I like about this part too. There's stuff throughout every part of this movie that I like, but it is kind of like, all right, now we just made another transition to another level of bad and it just will get progressively worse and worse. Eventually when we get to the airplane at the end, then it's just garbage in a lot of ways, just, you know, but I like, uh, the masseuse comes up and she calls herself peaceful fountains of desire, which is a name that is just great. And this threw me off. I was, yeah. I was just like, Tony, what did she say her name was? <laughs> I like uh, Peaceful Fountains of Desire. First off, she's very pretty. But yes. uh, I like that Bond immediately starts just going for it. And she's just like, well, I'm not that kind of masseuse. And he goes, well, I'm not that kind of customer. And he knows that she's got a gun trapped uh, to her leg. Tosses an ashtray into a two-way mirror. And these guys are filming him from Russia with Love style. And he's just like, I know you're Chinese intelligence. You think I forgot about that? <laughs> I fucking love that. Very good. Yeah, I, I wish to know what they were up to. What, the people filming? No, yeah, I assume it was just to... But like, what was the purpose of it in long term? Like, What were they trying to get out of just seeing Bond fuck this masseuse? Supposedly, the intention is they want to film him in an uncompromising position to use it for leverage. Okay. But they don't really say it. So in a way, it almost kind of comes off as more of like a peep show sort of thing. (laughs) It's like they're hanging in the back, just going like, this one's going to be great. (laughs) This is Bond. Bond's legendary. And Peaceful Fountains. We like her, you know? Um, So peaceful, though. She got a gun strapped to her leg. No, I mean, if she would have said, I'm harmful fountains of desire, he would have been like, oh, man. (laughs) Unlethal fountains of desire. Yeah. I'm peaceful fountains of guns. <laughs> just <laughs> So since uh, Zhao had killed some Chinese Asians, they strike a deal. Bond gets some help with some passports and everything. I like that he's, you know, after they establish this whole thing, he's like, 
you know, unless you really want to give me a massage. And she leaves, and he's just kind of like, oh, man, kind of one-to-one. And, I'd uh, imagine so. It's been, what's it been, 14 months? Yeah, at the very least. And later on, he references that with Chase. But I like how Chang says, uh, you know, here's your information and all this stuff. He's found himself in, uh, or lost himself or whatever he says, in Cuba. If you find Mr. Zhao, please say goodbye from us. <laughs> I think that that's funny. I like Chang. And uh, Chang was not supposed to be in the movie. Because originally they wanted Wei Lin to come back. Obviously not play the same part, but she would be Wei Lin and, you know, they would change the scene around and they, they couldn't get it to work. But you know, with her being from that area, that would have been, I think, really cool if he would have met with Wei Lin and she would have been like, I'm going to help you out because this is a thing. But then it kind of opens up the question, why doesn't Wei Lin go on the mission with him? You know? Right. So I think that they kind of made the right decision here. Yeah, at this point, you can't bring any of the Bond girls, like the main ones, back because then you go, well, hey, well, where's the continuity with this one and that one? You know? I think that you can do it. I just think if you've got some sort of personal connection or the government connection with it, Waylon would have been told you know, maybe you should go after Zhao because he had killed the Chinese agents and all that. So there's a way to do it. But then again, there's a way to do a lot of this movie. better. So. <laughs> then we get our uh, switch over to Havana where Bond is using his universal exports alias to make contact with Raul, who could not look more like Castro if he was Castro. That is great casting when it comes to, like, how do we make sure people know this is Cuba? <laughs> you know? Get that guy, give him a cigar. The Delictados. The accent that you've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and he and Bond are immediately chummy. Uh, he's kind of a less effective version of Karimbe or Colombo. Yeah, I'd say so. He I, I I, doesn't leave much of a lasting impression beyond the accent. Uh, outside of that, I enjoyed the music and the Cuba scenes. I was really enjoying the remix of the Bond theme. Kind of stuff. Yeah, I really like that too. Like, kind of in the background of that. We also get a good line too from Raul. He says, One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yep. Best line in the whole movie. I mean, uh, more so than um, debating about who we are under the skin. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like it because it's one of those things, again, where you go, yeah, there's some realism for you. And I enjoy when these movies kind of devolve into things you might actually hear in a situation like this. So the uh, switch over after that is when they're, you know, going over everything and talking about some of the usual like setup of the plot and all that. Like normally this would be an MI6 sequence in some fashion, but Bond gets some information. He takes a handgun, some binoculars uh, and a book. And that book is a field guide of birds of the West Indies written by James Bond. That is the book that Ian Fleming stole the name James Bond from. Oh, that's good. 
Well, it's good that he got a little bit of play. Yeah. Considering his name now is just completely associated with maybe the most toxic types of masculinity ever <laughs> formed. Uh, so I really, really like the fact that they did that. And if you look at the picture, I'm going to send you guys a picture of it, um, a screenshot from the movie, just so you can see it for a reference. They have the book beaten up enough that the author's name is scratched off. So that way it's not like, oh, Bond just happened to pick up a book by James Bond. It's like, no, he picked up the book, but you can't see that it's by James Bond. I love that little touch. That's one of my favorite parts of this entire movie. Yeah, it's a nice little attention to detail moment. That's how you do yeah. the 20th anniversary kind of thing, or the 20th film. You do little references like that, and that's that's fun. And then we take another leap into bad with the mojito sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think you really put the um, the accent on enough there. Mojito. <laughs> This, uh, it's, just, it's one word. It's the word. It's one of the worst things in this entire. Thing. It's just like who taught him to say it like yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> is it something that Brosnan came up with himself? Is that how he actually says the word mojito? <laughs> mojito. <laughs> it's kind of like a mix between uh, like he's trying to add some sort of a a Cuban flair to it, but he's also been thinking of hello moto. <laughs> This scene is bad. It's just bad. They p- try to play homage to Honey Rider, and they have Halle Berry's Jinx Johnson coming out of the I, water. I will say that, that that works for me. That part of it works for me. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. She looks phenomenal. But it's just not the same. And they even talk about this on the commentary. They're like, why is she wearing a, a knife? We don't know. We figured, fuck it. Because <laughs> at least with Honey Rider, she's you know doing with the clams, uh, not the clams, the um, conch shells and everything. So she uses the knife for that. Uh, Jinx, she's just wearing the knife or whatever. Again, Halle Berry is gorgeous, and I'm not going to complain about the shot outside of the way that it is in the movie. But it brings up some questions: Why is Bond? Watching her with the binoculars, other than to check her out. Does he need another reason? Well, it's like he's overhearing these guys that are going to be a part of the mission, however, and he just starts offering her a mojito and flirting and everything. And it's like, well, fourteen months. Well, yeah. the man with the magic penis has had sex. So he overheard those people talking about the fact that they're going to go see Dr. Alvarez. Yeah. And he, he uses the binoculars to scout the island because that's where they're going to be traveling to. And then he sees, he just looks around a little bit, he spots something in the distance, looks out further, and then he sees a woman in a bikini and then uh, penis mode activates. <laughs> and so <laughs> mission can wait. He's not really <laughs> on a mission. He's not, he's not a double O at the moment. He can do what he wants pretty much. And this is at the same time while the douchebag guy's threatening to shoot the waiter's dick off. So it's kind of yeah. like, I gotta use mine while I got <laughs> And the terrible exchange is the dialogue here. Um, you know, my name's Jacinta Johnson. My friends call me Jenks. My friends call me James Bond. 
the fuck wrote that line? Come on. At that point, I told you, okay, I think he's just trying to merge um, Lazenby and more and just everything weird about this franchise. (laughs) My friends call me James Bond. It's like, are you fucking serious, Pierce? This is, you've been great for three films. What the fuck is this? Yeah, who writes that? Who says it and doesn't go, guys, can't we think of something better than this? You know? Well, this entire dialogue between the two of them is straight out of a bad porn film. Yep. Yeah. Every bit of it. Every line. So, like, Bond's pretending to be an ornithologist because he's got the bird book. And so he says that he's, like, scouting and talks. And he he starts using that as the opportunity to start talking about the predators coming out at night and why the predators come out at night because uh, that's when the prey come out to drink and stuff like that. And... Jinx is pretending to, well, Jinx seems to be interested in that sort of thing. It's probably the most um, erotic conversation that an ornithologist has ever been involved in. <laughs> I mean, she literally looks at Bond's crotch and says, that's a mouthful. Yeah. And it's just heavy, we're gonna fuck dialogue that's not well written in the slightest bit. This uh, series has had so much good innuendo. And mm. even when it's been bad innuendo, it's been funny. And this is just a bad attempt at it. Like the whole line, they feast like there's no tomorrow. Mm. Ah, uh, yeah, we're going to go to bed and eat each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's going to eat a fig instead. <laughs> in bed. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's just so over the top. Only, like, no, it's not, that... it's not innuendo. It's just basically, it's like, are we going to fuck? Are we going to fuck in just different words, in just different language right. and stuff like that? Like, it's so thick with that. Sexual um, context only to be outdone by the worst ending line of a Bond film ever at the end of this movie. Mm. But yeah, this was just like, "Hey, sex, please now, sex." (laughs) Oh, sex now or sex later? Oh, oh, sex now. Okay, yeah. Maybe it's just like maybe there's some deeper thing that we're we're missing. The fact that. Bond has been trapped away for 14 months, so basically he's just putting it on as heavily as he possibly can just because he doesn't know how to be subtle anymore. In that <laughs> he's, bas- he's basically one step away from just walking up to her, just dropping trowel and just saying, <laughs> yep. Just being like, do this? Huh? Mouthful. <laughs> I'm Bond this, James Bond. That's how I say sex. Uh, My friends call me James Bond. And my Next? women that I sex like my my James Bond dick. <laughs> yeah, <this guy. laughs> Talk to pussy galore. <laughs> and that takes us to the first true sex scene of the series, because everything that we had seen before this was either before or after sex. And they had to cut seven seconds out of it to get a PG-13 rating, which makes me wonder, what did they show that made them think this was worth an R rating? Because this isn't bad. It's not like you're actually yeah. showing, you know... Anything. Yeah, where where are those seven seconds? Who knows where she put that <laughs> thing? Like hidden on the internet somewhere. <laughs> they're uh, they're in Monsters Ball and um Swordfish. Uh, Swordfish, yeah, I was gonna say Snowpiercer. I'm like, that's not the right movie. <laughs> that's a movie I need to revisit, Swordfish. Because I remember thinking, well, this is weird and shit, but I don't know, maybe there's something good about it. Cool cast too, you know. Um yeah, there, she's eating a fig. That's what you do, I guess. I don't know. And where did you put the fig? Maybe that's where. Yeah, maybe that's. <laughs> uh, 
then we get to Bond waking up and Jinx oh, actually, isn't there. I want to talk about this because I, I saw something uh, about in the um, actual sex scene itself. Oh. Is that um, Barry in the, um, appeared on a Jimmy Fallon's talk show and she talked about the fact that um, when she ate the fig during one of the scenes, she started choking on it. <laughs> and so and so Pierce Brosnan had to like help her get it out, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a sexy scene, right? It's kind of like, that's you know, we, uh, we're in the middle of this and it's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to bite this. <laughs> 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 so, so this is like, um, yeah, so she says it over like a video call and this is still during the coronavirus. Thing. This, this was last year that she that gave this interview. So and I was supposed to be all sexy trying to seduce him with a fig and then end up choking on it. And he had to get up and do the Heimlich. <laughs> sure. You didn't plan that, Hallie. <laughs> you wanted the Heimlich, right? can't blame him um bond wakes up though she's not there he sees that she is switching over this paperwork to get to this island so the way he's gonna do that is he knocks out the douchebag guy puts him in a wheelchair and he's in this room he's got this prostitute who's totally okay with it and bond's just mm-hmm. like uh bonus ds and she's like hola <laughs> i like that i think that that's cool she's probably seen a lot worse yeah she's just like well that, that guy paid me and he's an ass, so I'm okay with this other dude beating him up and putting him in a wheelchair and taking him away. I'm just going to read my magazine. And she uh, was not supposed to be in the script and everything. They kind of decided that on a whim. They were just like, let's grab one of the extras and just put her there and just do that. And you know, So that's a nice little touch. Von wheels this guy to the clinic on Isla Los Organos. The <laughs> island of organs. <laughs> And promptly dispatches of him by rolling him into a hallway so people get distracted and he can soup around. And in the process, he steals some grapes from a room. That's a nod to Thunderball. One of my favorite nods in this movie. If you guys remember that little bit. That's um after, I think, that he traps the guy in the little steam thing. Oh, yes. And Bond just, you know, eats some grapes when he's walking around. He punches the the alarm and everything like that. So I like that they did the little grape thing. I was like, you know, Bond likes grapes. Okay. <laughs> so it's continuity here. And how obvious can you make your trap door when you've got a security camera facing a wall? And it's so easy to just walk underneath it and unplug the wire. This movie, you know, you don't have to be very logical here. Mm. Just dumb. Don't like it. Jinx is meeting with the doctor, Alvarez. They're talking about DNA replacement surgery, and he says, I consider myself an artist. And she gets her quips in here and there throughout the movie. She says, well, most artists aren't truly appreciated until they're dead. And shoots him and starts raiding his office for information. I like it. Yeah. This shows that she's a force to be reckoned with in this movie. Something that gets hammered home multiple times. <laughs> Bond notices that Zhao is in this rehab chamber thing and he's being whitewashed into this Caucasian German guy of some sort. And they still haven't taken the diamonds off of his face. For some reason. Maybe they're just embedded in. Maybe they'll just never be able to get out. I would think that some kind of surgery would get that out. Or maybe he no, likes it. Be, uh, it could be too dangerous. Like it's really close to the eyes and stuff like that. Nah, I think he just likes... I think he just likes it. 
We get some more speed ramps and all this Maybe. action sequence stuff. The music in this is really good. It's uh, There's stuff pulled directly from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, some of the music notes. So that's a good drag. I like that. I was going to say, one of the things I did like about it was the fact that Bomb wakes Sal up by grabbing his IV. Yeah, I like that too. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just... <laughs> he's just squeezing it every once in a while. Bond being an asshole is fun. It's great. Uh, Jinx uses her cell phone. Another dated look at that cell phone. As an explosive to take out part of the doctor's room. And, you know, she's got her own gadgets and stuff. But she can't shoot for shit with Zal. So he gets away with a helicopter. And Bond does this little trick with this air canister. Blows a hole in the wall. I don't think it works that way necessarily. But I've never tried it. He fails to get Zal too. What are you saying? Mythbusters should get on that as well. They should, yeah. Just try to blow holes in walls with uh, explosive canisters and everything. And... Jinx does this little bit where she strips off her outfit and falls backward into the water in a very CGI shot. Oh, it's awful. It's just, it's so bad, the um, shot of her falling backwards. And also, it's just like, she's been held by gunpoint, and so she decides this is the best time to just strip, and the guards have no idea what's going on. They're very much, a oh, pretty woman has taken clothes off kind of thing. I mean, what did he think she was going to do? Right. Do that and then just sort of, I don't know, give up, <laughs> I guess. What was the more film where they were in the car and the guards literally just go, oh my god, woman. There's one of the, like, the latter more films where he keeps trying to nudge them to look at her and then just escapes off. Oh, oh Octopussy, yeah, the, beginning yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. The, um, can't remember the name of the woman, but she was uh, yeah, driving the car alongside him and he's just looking and stuff like that. So, hey, look at that lady. Yeah. The guards here had that kind of energy. Did you guys notice that Bond's uh, outfit doesn't fit him in that shot? Uh, is there a story behind that? Yeah, the suit that he's wearing in that, they needed like six or seven of them because every time that they would get it wet, it would shrink. So in the shot that he's running to see what like where she falls uh, into conveniently right next to a boat that takes her away, his suit is so shrunken that it looks like he's wearing a suit that's like three sizes too small. And like you could see his uh, socks and everything like he laughs about it on the uh, commentary. He's just like, oh, my God, look at this suit. Oh, my God, it looks terrible. <laughs> It's something that if you if you're paying attention to it, you can notice it. If you're not, you probably won't notice it. But after you notice it, from that point on, you're just kind of like, oh wow, yeah, that suit does not fit him at all. Whatever the material was, it just shrunk every time that they were getting that wet. So seems appropriate with this movie. Goes with the theme of some other things, right? It's like, well, yeah. that didn't work. <laughs> Bond's got the necklace from Zhao. It's got some diamonds in it, so that's his next clue. And we find out that those are identical to conflict diamonds, and they come from Gustav Graves. And adios, Raul. We don't see him the rest of the movie. That's a shame. Money Penny's then listening to M talking to Falco, who is pissed about Bond getting away, and M kind of defends him a little bit, but kind of doesn't. He's just like, you know, well, that's what he's trained to do. And Falco's like, well, figure that shit out, or we'll figure it out for you. So Bond heads to England, 
And we're not supposed to really care about how he got over there. He shouldn't be able to, based off of being like a wanted criminal, essentially, at this point. But whatever. Should we care about uh, London Calling playing in the background? Well, even before that, actually, no, it, it kicks in during this. But um, yeah. the British Airways flight attendant that gives him the martini and there's turbulence. And he says, oh, it's a good thing I asked for a shaken, shaken which is like, God, that's another terrible line. Like... Again, that's the type of line that you write if you think you're writing a parody of a Bond film. But that flight attendant is Roger Moore's daughter. Ah. They're like, yeah, put Deborah Moore in here. That'd be fun. And London Calling swells with uh, Gustav Graves parachuting with the Union Jack. To reference, of course. From us with love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's why I love me. He parachutes into the press and he meets up with his assistant, Miranda Frost. The London Calling thing, how do you feel about that? It's a great song. I, I'd say so. I think in a lot of ways it works. And it wouldn't be the type of thing that I would think would normally work. But I honestly, I don't like how it's executed here either because that plays and midway through it switches over to the score. So it's like, you know, London calling, but da 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 da. And I'm like, oh man, that's a jarring transition. I think it should have just kept with the thing, uh, the song itself. And I don't know, maybe lightly transition out of something else or something. I, I don't know, but I'm not a big fan of how that's pulled off. Graves is a super smug type of guy that. He's got a smile you just want to punch off. Mm. He's just like Bond, but in an unlikable way. Because he's got the quips. Wow. You know, uh, as they say in fencing, what's the point? A total douchebag. Yeah. It's, which is great. He's one of those people who you... Obviously, he's smug as well. Smug, as you pointed out, so you dislike him anyway. But you also dislike him because you get the sense immediately that he's achieved more in this film than you've achieved in your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been on, he's been on screen for about like, cause he parachutes in and then he's been on screen having that conversation for about 30 seconds. And in that 30 seconds, he did more in his entire life than you did in your entire, in like 30 or 40 years or whatever. Yeah. You don't, you don't gotta remind me, Callum. Fucking thanks. <laughs> Callum. It's like, damn, he's good looking and rich and athletic popular and it's just gonna like <sighs> hate this guy which is perfect it's a great introduction to just be like i want bond to shoot this fucker in the face kind of a thing you know oh yeah immediately i wanted bond to deal with him yeah and that's a good that's a good thing to get out of you like your main villain then we go over to the blades club which is something that's in the moonraker book which they took a lot of inspiration from different things here and there moonraker in particular for this movie and um Blades is something that Bond is like he's a member of in the books or something, and this is just a different sort of story, which I think it works because it's like, well, if it's a fencing thing, Blades, cool, that's perfect. And we meet up with Verity, the fencing instructor played by Madonna. Yeah. I I don't mind that Madonna is here. Okay, I'm going to be controversial before you say what you're going to say, because I, I mean, I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm going to say, I don't think she was bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't mind that she's in it. I don't mind her part. I actually think it's kind of fun 
but I, a good line. The last I, line's really good, I think. Yeah, the last line's funny, and that, that's a different thing, too. And there, there's some back and forth, you know, I see your handle, your weapon well. Uh, I've been known to keep my tip up. But here's something I don't like. There's these minor hints that Verity and Miranda have a thing going on that was going to be a bigger deal, and they cut most of it out. And their intention for this scene was Madonna's the lesbian fencing instructor. And I just don't think that a lot of that kind of works. You get a little bit of a reference to it with the final line, because she, you know, when Bond and Graves are going back and forth, and uh, they do that sort of thing. They settle that they're going to do a bet, and Verity doesn't want to take part because, she, as she says, I don't like cockfights. I thought that was funny. I, I, I like that. But I can't yeah, like, look at the scene and not go, oh, that's Madonna. And that throws me off. It is a little bit like that. Like, you just see Madonna in it and you just go, oh, yeah, it's like, like in my mind, even though I know her character's name is Verity, I'm just going to write my notes Madonna instead because it's just right it's it's weird because it's like she's too famous to be in this movie it sounds so bizarre to say but she is too famous to be in this movie as a character if you're playing Madonna she needs to just be like singing the song or something just it's like it's like if Michael Jackson turned up in like an old Bond movie stuff like that it's just like oh he could have played like a really a character really well just being interesting this is like but it's Michael Jackson and that's all I'd be thinking about. It's like, this is Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, even though the whole point of it is Madonna gets a part and isn't that funny and interesting, it is kind of like, okay, well, then that's just, that's Madonna's part. And, you know, it, it just serves me off a little bit. So, it is what it is, but they start to have a sword fight. And... Uh, best of three hits, Graves wins 2-0, and oh, so they up the wager with a little bit of the diamonds. And Bond's doing as usual, I know you're up to something, type of shtick. And we get another fucking groaning line. Well, diamonds are for everyone. Uh, come on, writers. It's like the opposite of what diamonds are for. Diamonds are forever. Diamonds are for everyone. How about we work that in there? God damn. Uh, I think it would have been better if they just said diamonds are forever. Even if they said that, I still would have been annoyed, but I'm like, you're not being cute. You're not being clever. That's what a bad writer would have done in that scene. You know, it would have been like, you know, I'm surprised that there aren't, lines in the reveal of the whole like so you live to die another day that he just goes well you only live twice <laughs> like you know that kind of thing like, you know uh, and he says like you know well did you know that uh, Miranda was a traitor and he goes doctor no I didn't <laughs> like that because <kind> of <laughs> some of the lines are just so friggin bad in this movie and it's a shame because some of the other ones are great so it's like which one of you writers did that one stop it which one of you did the thing about, hey, how about we do the, uh, you know, some of the stuff in the opening? Do the rest. <laughs> Bond slices Graves' hand. They up the contest even more. First blood match from the, well, from the torso. And not WWE. Again, <laughs> it's where I got a moment. Uh, that whole little bit with uh, Bond kicking the sword towards the camera, that just sort of happened and looked cool. That was not planned at all. Brosnan just happened to kick it like that. And they were like, neat. 
<laughs> good on Bronson. <laughs> well, this is a good. It's a good fight. That's fucking awesome. I feel I like this is. It, it's not quite Princess Bride. Sword <laughs> fight, which I I always go to as that's always my go to as like the best sword fight I've ever seen in a in a, in a film. I also feel like this maybe partly partially inspi- inspired uh, Revenge of the Sith. The uh, spinning around and everything. It just because they go everywhere. <laughs> There's no part in this where they just spin and don't touch each other. <laughs> they can that uh, we want. Shout like, you with the chosen one. Yeah, somebody doesn't get the high ground. You know, they do awkwardly view, speed up a couple shots in my point though. Mi six or evil. <laughs> I don't like the sped up footage, but I really like. Like I think in a different movie done in a different style where they're not doing things like Graves spins and throws the sword into the wall. I think that this is an amazing fight sequence. Yeah, I like, think it's, I think I still think it's really good. I think that he uh, both sides show a lot of aggression, especially Graves in this in this front and yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good fight. I think it's overproduced, but for the most part it's really good. I think if this could have been Maybe like a, a Dalton or Craig one and grittier. I'd have liked it more. Well, I think, actually, my favorite part of it is when so Bond wins by like nicking Grave and Graves in the torso and knocking him into the fountain. And this is one of the things I like the most about the Graves character is that he loses that. And obviously, I've just had a really aggressive fight where they basically destroyed half of the uh, building in the process. And then he just gets up and he laughs and he wants to shake his hand. It's like, what a prick. Yeah, it's just that uh, we're just having a bit of sport. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of violent sport that, you know, went everywhere. But I really like this fight. Again, one of the few redeeming portions of the movie. I like that the one guy eventually says, that place needed a redecorating anyway. <laughs> he gives Bond this uh, envelope. It's got a big old key in it which doesn't lead him to pirate treasure, nor is it the key to his heart or the key to solving any mysteries or anything that might have taken this in a weirder direction. It's a key to an old abandoned bunker station railway kind of thing that MI6 uses for burned agents. And M is back to just wanting Bond's help. And he's like, you burned me and you you want my help now? And she's like, what, you want an apology? <laughs> it's kind of like, do your fucking job, which is... M's got balls, you know? Yeah. Balls of steel. Yeah. They start uh, jabbing at each other about compromising on principles. Yeah. he, you know, Unlike you, I don't compromise kind of a thing. And she points okay. out that uh, while he was tortured, the world changed. Which is their... Oh, to 9-11? Yeah, their... Let's not blatantly say 9-11, but it, it's 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's... Subtle, but it does. It's accurate. I do appreciate it, like, because M then just like shares what they have on Graves, and they said like they haven't really got anything concrete yet, but M knows enough to kind of trust Bond's intuition now, so she's willing to go along with it. And I love the line that she gets towards the end. It says like, "Well, it seems you've become useful again." Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of biting, isn't it? You mm. know. You're useful yeah. again. That's that's the case, but it's like Bond knows what the whole gig is up, you know. And then we get to see Bond's office for the second time in the series. The only time we've seen it before that was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So he's uh, cleaning his gun. And shots are fired. 
there's an attack on MI6. And Money Penny's dead. And I remember in the theater, people went, because <gasps> they were just like, what the fuck? You killed Money Penny? And I'm just like, something's off here. So I wasn't one of those reacting ones. And then Robinson gets killed. And at this point, admittedly, I started thinking to myself, oh, fuck, maybe there is something going on here. And then you see M's held hostage at gunpoint. Ding. Bond shoots her, kind of, shoots through her. And it's all bullshit because John Cleese pops up and he says, oh, the perfect marksman doesn't shoot his own boss. And uh, we see that it's a virtual reality training simulator with goggles and everything. And Bond just, you know, to throw the joke out there because it's John Cleese, he says, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> what were you guys thinking with this whole virtual reality thing when that all popped up? Again, it's very, it's very, um, we're in the 21st century now, Bond. Hey, since yeah. it's the future, get used to it. Yeah, and I quipped to you. I was like, oh, look, they did the Oculus Rift before the Oculus Rift. Yeah. And then I enjoyed the scene of the gadgets a lot. Yeah, at this point, uh, Cleese, who calls him 00, which I don't like, it's established that he's no longer R, which wasn't really an official title to begin with. He's just officially Q, although Bond is still not really super cool with him. Like he calls him quartermaster instead of Q. And Brosnan had said that his intention for this was because he assumed that he was going to do, do another movie that it was like, all right, I don't like R I'm warming up to the quartermaster. And then by the next film, it would have been like, all right, Q and I are okay. Now I like that. Brosnan gives the thought to those kind of things. He cared about this character. It would have been nice to see what they came up with if there was another film. And uh, Bond and the new Q go to the storage area that has tons of references to other films. The ones that I could catch are the crocodile submarine and the jet from Octopussy. Rosa Klebb's shoe, which is the shoe from the thing. These are like the actual things in their warehouses. It wasn't like, let's replicate it and just do it. We got the attache case from From Russia With Love. We have the ropes from Octopussy. The jetpack from Thunderball, which Bond goes, does this still work? And just puts it on. <laughs> that that's means that the other films are canon. So much. And that's important. Mm -hmm. I think that was an important way to say, yes, it is all the same character. They are all in the same canon. The jetpack popped me, and so did the shoe, as did... Uh, John Cleese saying, as I learned from my predecessor, I don't joke about my work. It's like, what a feel-good scene. What do you think about the relics, yeah. uh, Callum? I, I mean, I like the um, the little mementos. I don't know whether it's... I don't know whether it's telling me that it's the same character. Again, I always kind of... I don't lean towards this thing, but I do like the idea that... It's just a different 007 that's been replaced after the other ones died or retired. And so he's like, so he's like seeing this jetpack, it's like, oh, how does this, does this thing still work? It's like, yeah, back when I did it in 1960 something, whatever. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's not me. Clearly not me. Well, the Bond franchise, they never officially said this, but they've, I mean, it's, it is what it is. They work on the same 
oh, not anymore. The same sliding time scale as what Marvel does. Where with Marvel, for instance, Spider-Man did all the stuff that he did in the, you know, the 80s and the 70s and whatever. And a year and hour time is essentially like a day in Marvel time. It's just that's their excuse for like you know, DC has like hyper time and all these other kind of things. It's sort of like Bond did it all, but the time scale somebody's messing with it, kind of, you know. And uh, he did Thunderball, but he did Thunderball probably in like nineteen ninety something, and you know, two thousand two, like. Let's cram it all in there. Bond's seasoned at this point, so he's done these. And, like, there's more bad dialogue with the the watch. Uh, this will be your 20th, I believe. Pretty sure he's had more than 20, but it's just kind of like, oh, it's 20th movies, guys! Oh. You know? Um, that was the writer writing it down. He was typing, going, Durr, 20th! <laughs> you know? But, um... I like that they do that. I like that it's just sort of like, okay, so Bond had a scuffle with Rosa Klebb. Cool. And uh, he shows one of his new gadgets, a ring, that if he twists it, it has a sonic frequency that will bla- uh, break even bulletproof glass. Use that a lot. He uses it uh, one, two, at least twice in the movie, I can think of. Maybe three. Yeah. And Bond responds by saying, uh, you're cleverer than you look. And uh, Q says, better than looking cleverer than you are. Yeah. It's a little clunky, but I like it. Took me a little while to understand what he actually said. The first time that I had saw the movie, I was just like, the the line still better than looking cleverer than you are. I was like, did he just say like, I'm cleverer than you? And I was just like, some like the the wording just didn't click in my brain. Uh, Bond says when he gets to watch, uh, time flies, which is like softball, you know. Q shows him his new transportation, which is nothing. So Bond... Well, that's underwhelming. Yeah, Bond just plays it off and he's just like, you know, you've been in the bunker a little too long. That <laughs> kind of thing. But he explains uh, the Aston Martin has the Vanquish and we have the Vanish. And Bond says, the Goldfinger reference, you must be joking. Which I like that. That Bond's the one saying at this point, just like, you gotta be kidding me. You got a fucking invisible car. Like, that kind of thing. Like, and he goes, oh, very good. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know, boys with toys. Yeah. So the car has cameras that reflect an image back onto it. So it can effectively become invisible. It's not really invisible. It's not like, you know... Uh, Diana just decides she has this power and turns an airplane into an invisible thing like in Wonder Woman 1984, which is awful. It's actually a technology that can be used. It's just clunky. And it's also got torpedoes and ejector seat, target-seeking shotguns. I really like the next bit of dialogue. And then I really dislike the line afterward, which uh, Q says, he gives them the manual, and he says, you can shoot through that in a few hours. It's a bond just casually throws it up in the air the target seeking shotguns blast it and he says oh, it only took a few seconds which I think is great but I don't like that Q says I wish I could make you vanish because it's just such an easy line like I don't know there's a, there's a better version of that I think 
eh, softball, there's still that tense relationship. So I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, even softball, you have to hit him. So I think it was fine. I, I like the interaction between these two. The uh, shoot through the manual in a few seconds thing, I think is great. If they would have ended at that line, I think that, that would have been even better. But M talks to Miranda Frost. Turns out she's an MI6 agent. This is her first day of filming on her first movie for Rosamund Pike. So she said in the commentary, she's just kind of like, yeah, imagine being like, out of nowhere, you get this phone call and it's like, hey, do you want to do the Bond film? And she's like, what? Okay, yeah. And then it's like, oh, here we're going to do your first scene. And it's opposite Dame Judy Dench. She's just like, oh, wow. Like, that's got to be intimidating as hell, right? That's awesome. So she kind of comes off to me as a young M. Yeah, I can yeah, she, see it. She, she's pretty, well, as the name would suggest, she's a pretty cold character. Like, she could be the bean counter that gets the job in a couple decades. She even uses a phrase that uh, they love in this series, which is, she calls uh, Bond a blunt instrument. And they say that in uh, Casino Royale as well. Uh, she is very much Judy Dench from Goldeneye. Bond is reckless. He shoots first and asks questions later. Uh, he blows shit up. She calls him a womanizer. So she is like young M here. And I really like the way that Miranda comes off in that. She uh, has volunteered for the position and M says, you know, after three months, you haven't done anything. Nothing's come up. And Miranda says, well, he seems to be clean. So M says, I'm going to let Bond stir the pot a little bit. And I want you to keep him in check. And she also, you know, she's done her due diligence. She says, you know, in three years in cryptology, you've never fraternized with any of your fellow agents. And she says that that would be pretty foolish to do, especially with Bond of all people. So it's like, even M has to be like, I got to make sure she's not going to fuck Bond. <laughs> That's good on M though. Yeah, she knows at this point that she's just like, Bond's going to want to fuck her. She's going to want to fuck Bond. Maybe she's good for it, though, because she's yeah, maybe she's got the uh, the ability to go get around that. You know, I really this is probably my favorite scene that Miranda's in in the whole movie. I think I can sign off on that. I mean, it's a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, look at some of the other things. So let's speed ramp over to some icebergs with some awful CGI Bond driving in this big Alice pi- uh, palace. I- big ice palace. Ah, words. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Freeze's hideout from Batman and Robin. Pretty much, right? It's like this fucking iceberg lounge. What was this? It cost them something like $6 million. No. And they had like no scenes for it. So eventually they were like, can we just do some other stuff in here? What about if we do the car chase in here? Originally, that's not how that the car chase was supposed to end. So it's like, what did you spend the money for? If it looks as bad as it looks, just CGI the damn thing then and not spend any of the money. Like, uh. And I hate so much when Bond gets out of his car 
there's this guy standing there, mean mugging him, who just says, and mind you, it's terribly acted, I'm Mr. Kill. <laughs> and Bond says, well, that's a name to die for. <sighs> Low-hanging fruit garbage like this is just not good. Mr. Kill sucks. He is a terrible henchman. He's not an imposing figure. He has zero character. The only thing about him that's memorable is this terribly delivered line for his name. Mr. Kill is just trash. Why does he say, I'm Mr. Kill? Well, you gotta know who he is. Like, he doesn't... Introduce yourself. Like, in, like, A View to a Kill, we get, like... I'm Jenny Flex. I'm going to take you around and I'm going to explain to you about the horses because I'm a horse trainer here and whatever. He's just like, I'm Mr. Kill. That's my character's name. I'm going to die later. Bye. <laughs> you know? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. One of the worst things in this movie. One of the worst things in the series, I think. I'll take I speak English over this, you know, like easily. And this I speak English is a great line. This yeah. is definitely the point where the movie starts going off the rails, like where it's, you know, no point of no return at this point, because then for the sake of it, we get introduced to a rocket car. Because that's the thing. And another henchman. Like you're just jealous, Tony. Well, I mean, I'm jealous of Graves in a lot of ways, but not of his speed record or his henchman, Vlad, who sucks. So at this point, yeah. you're seeing Mr. Kill and you got the rocket car. You got any first impressions of this? <laughs> and the Ice Palace and all that? It was just... It's just very ostentatious. I mean, it's just what we've learned so far about Graves is the fact that he just does stuff that's an adrenaline junkie would do. He's got more money than... Uh, well, not to say brain cells, but more money than uh, sense. Common sense, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I bet Elon Musk has an ice palace. And a rocket car. I totally has a rocket car. I wouldn't be surprised if he just openly, you know, displayed it one day. But the ice palace. What stuck out to me here was, okay, we're hitting, this is about the point where I'm going, okay, we're hitting, uh, it's 2000s, let's just be zany and do these speed ramps and do... At this point, I'm falling out of the movie, but I'm still like, all right, it's still good. It's still good. You know, like I'm <laughs> still trying here. It's a bad dialogue too. the whole. Uh, it's only when you're living on the edge that you find out who you are under the skin. And <laughs> some bad green screen stuff and. More bad dialogue when Bond's like, oh, Miranda Frost in a palace of ice. You must feel right at home. Like, She wasn't uh -huh. named Miranda Frost in the original idea. Uh, they were going to take the character from the book Moonraker, and she was Gayla Brand. And they decided to change her name to either Miranda Frost or Miranda Winter. Because they basically wanted this stupid joke. Ice. <laughs> yeah, it's one step away from you know, take two of these and call me in the morning. And, you know, it, no, I don't like it. <laughs> I, 
so I was thinking about this after I had seen the film. It's been about 20 years since more at this point. I wonder if they were, were just super nostalgic for like, yeah, but I miss when Bond was fun and silly and let's just do that. Let's do that. It's too octopusy. Fun. Yeah. Like let's let's do view to a kill, you know? Let's have fun be fun. There's a deleted scene where somebody gets uh, killed with some butterflies. And <laughs> imagine that. I mean, there's, there, there's one good line hidden among this cavalcade of shit at the moment, which is basically um, uh, one advantage of never sleeping is that I have to live my dreams. I do like I like that. Yeah. Line. Yeah, that's good. It's the idea that he never sleeps. And so, yeah, he has to live that stuff. I think that's I thought, I thought that's pretty good. There's a core of a good character to Gustav Graves. That is wasted in this movie. We also get a boppy dance remix of the main theme for the party. More speed ramp shots for literally no fucking reason. It's shots of people walking around. I don't know why it's like whoosh. Because we're in the year 2000, man. That's what it is. I mean, they did the slow-mo shot when Jinx arrived. Because I assume it's Halle Berry and so time moves slowly when people look at her. It's just kind of in the background. And, like, Matrix is super hot, and fucking with time is super hot at this point. I'm so glad we're past that era. Every yeah, movie Matrix, was... Matrix 4, like, this year. <laughs> They'll start doing that, and then people will be like, you know, well, that's that's back. You know, let's just do that. All the time, everything. Do it. The uh, Bond asks for a vodka martini with ice if they can spare it. Which yeah. I think it's like, you know... <laughs> Oh, yeah. did, you, did you get it? Yeah, lots of ice. <laughs> Zhao meets up with Graves, and it's revealed that Graves is actually Colonel Moon. He already went through his gene therapy replacement in those 14 months, or a little bit less than that, you would assume. You only <laughs> live twice. I, mean, I, I, I like it as a twist. I know obviously they did it too they oversold it too much with the under the skin line, but I think it's a nice little thing to put into the movie. I know, I mean like it was genuinely shocking to me. To me To me it's a a situation where if you say some guy gets plastic surgery and he looks different so he's able to pull that off, my first reaction is Man, I really don't like diamonds are forever. (laughs) But my second reaction is Oh, that could work. But he never acts like Colonel Moon when he's Gustav Graves. There's no point, like, for instance, when when they're doing the hovercraft sequence, he's doing, like, martial arts. And Graves never does a kick. Hmm. Maybe he's just trained himself so much to be Graves that he can't, he just doesn't do that stuff anymore. Like, I think if they would have pulled this off where he would have when you do the reveal, then you start seeing elements of Colonel Moon. Then it can be decent, but I feel like Graves and Moon are two completely different villains. And it just happens to be that they're the same guy. And the gene therapy thing is like, let's get wacky with the sci-fi. And But I do like that Zhao says to Graves, you look terrible. <laughs> what? What? It's one of my... Um biggest quibbles about the overarching pro, uh, plot which is so this 
we're meant to believe this happened about 14, 15 months ago from the original Bond going into North Korea. So in that period of time, the guy running it, I know he's obviously, he was rich because he had all those cars and all that other stuff available to him. But as far as people knew, he was dead. Yet he's managed to basically build himself an entirely new identity where he became so rich to the point that he was going to get knighted by the queen mm-hmm. in a year and in a year and three months. Yeah, because Zhao has been going through this uh, this therapy, and we don't know how long it's been taking for him to go through the the therapy, and his face is all messed up. But it can't be that long, because Bond is you know he's with Zhao on the bridge, and Zhao looks like Zhao. And then a little bit later, he's in Havana. I would assume it's a couple weeks. Well, I, th- I think that that was the um, that was the that was the first time that he'd gotten any sort of treatment was when he went into Cuba. So I think that the point where Bond finds him having that treatment done, I think that was probably his one of his first attempts at doing it. Yeah, he's because, not far along. They show that he's got like he's he's almost kind of midway through it though. Well, he's he still looks he still looks Korean. Yeah, he's just white and got blue eyes. But like they have that little progression to show him going into like the German guy, and he's like six elements into it, and there's maybe like seven or eight left. So it's like he's kind of halfway there. So maybe it doesn't take too long. But even if you say Colonel Moon fakes his death, and the therapy thing in its entirety, like to regrow back your hair and to get comfortable in, you know, just the way that you are and having a different voice and everything as well. Let's say modestly, it takes a month. In 13 months, then he's faked his death and started this and completed it and then needs to, like you said, build up all these riches and all these uh, shell companies and all these other kinds of things and get knighted and develop a reputation enough where it becomes like, oh, well, we know who Gustav Graves is. Everybody knows who Graves is over these past couple of months. And and MI6 and everybody, they aren't really all that confused about this guy popping up out of the middle of nowhere. That's not believable. It's a shame that they didn't have some kind of a something, I don't know what, where they just kind of show off like this has been in the works for years or something. Yeah. We'll also get, we'll get to that a little bit later on as well. Do you guys think that they were going to kiss? No. Yeah. No, no. Did, did, did you, <laughs> every time I watch this, I go, I wonder if there's a relationship between those two. Cause they are very close. And of course, you can mostly just read into it. It's like, that's his number one guy, you know, but there's like a sexual tension between them, kind of. And he's like, his, you know, when he does the whole, like, I've been this close to his face and he hasn't uh, noticed me and whatever. It's, it's something with the way that Toby Stevens plays Graves that I'm like, I could see them being lovers. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to rewatch that with that uh, viewpoint because I didn't see that at all. I mean, I'm not going to. 
<laughs> well, there's anything wrong about that, but it's not really like yeah, it's, it's not, not a priority not really to go watch that. Ever. It. Uh, it's just, I want to know if you have ever thought that. Drop a comment below. Tell me what you think, or if you're just kind of like, what you're you're reading too much into the way he acted the scene. Uh, to me, yeah, that was a stretch for you, and you don't usually stretch that far. To me, it just there's something about the way that he delivers his lines and the way that he's looking at Zhao that I kind of get the little bit of a hint that maybe he's got a thing for him a little bit. Like maybe it's just kind of like, uh, so you think that not only did they scrap the concept for a lesbian relationship, but they just scrapped the concept for a gay relationship as well. Maybe that that wasn't even necessarily a big part of it. It could have been that Toby Stevens made that call on his own. And it's kind of like, I'm going to play Graves as this posh kind of guy. And I want to make him like where you, you think he might be a little gay kind of thing. Like, cause that's, you know, that's a trope in some ways about like, how that is so he might have done it like that it might be completely not at all what they're going for and it just happens to translate that way in my mind but he also later on when he says about Mirandi's like I even used her sex it kind of comes off a little bit to me as like you know oh, she's a girl and that's not she's sort of my thing and for a lady kind of a little bit like yeah it's just I don't know again not there's anything wrong with that it's not like that's something that they're going to vilify him for where it would be part of the villain uh, motif of the the piece kind of like Mr. Went Mr. Kid where it's kind of like oh you know let's try to make them bad for that reason which is terrible I mean but, we've uh, already established diamonds are for everyone and they're um a girl's best friend and you know they're uh all I need to please me all the other things that go along with that song Frost asks Jinx who's uh Jinx at this point says that she is like a space magazine researcher or whatever the hell it was. And she says, oh, I take it that Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. And she says, well, I think I got the thrust of it. Huh? Penis. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Graves unveils his Icarus satellite. <laughs> I should say. <laughs> his big, giant, phallic-looking Icarus satellite in the sky. Does your does your phallic object fan out like that in some sort of? <laughs> well, I don't know what gene therapy he did. <laughs> so you're describing it as phallic. It looked like a giant dome to me. Oh, after it, you know, does that? Like, yeah, of course. Uh, he gives this whole speech, very smug, of course. Uh, Bond and Jinx are the only ones that don't need sunglasses because they're I too cool for it. Hard. I don't think she does. Yeah, I think she does towards the end of it. Bond, Bond, Bond is what the only one does it. And it's weird because like there's a bunch of like Korean generals at the side there, but he's the he's the one that really should be wearing a disguise out of anyone. <laughs> he's the one that could get recognised for. And uh, Bond gets into his invisible car, sneaks up to watch Vlad and Mister Kill, and you know he gets out of the car and leaves, <laughs> leaves it there. <laughs> Just... We're not going to come back to that for a little bit. Nobody's going to bump into that. And he gets spotted because what the hell, you know, before he's able to do a damn thing. But they get thrown off the scent when Miranda starts making out with him. Apparently that works. People are just like, well, that can't be the guy that we just saw because he's kissing a girl. And well, to be fair, they, none of them saw Bond other than the um, the first guy. 
So they just they just see two people making out and right next to the cars and just think, okay. I like uh, that Miranda says, I know all about you, your sex for dinner and death for breakfast. Well, it's not going to happen with me. Which I like that line, death for, uh, sex for dinner, death for breakfast. <laughs> and even more so, I like that she eventually is like, oh God, like you're even worse than I imagined. Are they still watching? And he goes, no, they left ages ago. <laughs> it's just like, that's Bond right there. That's a great Bond moment. And to see you have some really bad things, Bond's just kind of like, no, I'm going to make out with this hot chick. <laughs> kind of like when he said the jinx earlier. He's like, I've been missing the touch of a beautiful woman. Like, been too long. I'm Bond, you know. As we've seen, it's typically like at least three in the span of a few days. He had a lot of ground to make up for in the last 14 months. (laughs) I really like that exchange, though. You know, they left ages ago. She's just like, oh, God. You know, we get some good music when Jenks is sleuthing around. That's a great track. And we get another really good Bond moment. Miranda and James go to bed. And we see Bond put a gun under his pillow. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the theater, I was just sitting there going like, yeah, they did that again. Like, you know, kind of like, he calls it an occupational hazard. Uh, but yeah, I love that. Because it's like, yeah, he does. Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? He does it all the time. So it doesn't work out well for him, though. Yeah, definitely not. And we also get a little bit of that Dalton, I hate doing my job type of flair here, where she's like, this is crazy, you're a double O, and he's like, it's only a number. It's like, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> you know? That whole little bit with Miranda is like, I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I at this point, I don't see this word coming. So you weren't I suspicious of her? about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, like I just thought, okay, she another Bond girl that he's just gonna bed. So apparently, when they were doing the test sequence, uh, the test sequence, the test screenings, totally not the word, uh, for this, apparently the men didn't see the swerve coming at all. The women, they, when they got to the part where she hands him the gun and she says, "James, be careful." Apparently, most of the women in the test screenings were like, yep, she's evil. Okay, <laughs> well, like... I was talking about before they go to bed. Like, you just think, okay, he's already turned her with his magic penis. <laughs> and that just is what it is. Yeah, I just think that that's funny that she delivered this line in a way that it translates really well for the women, for the women to be like, uh, I don't trust her. And the guys are just sort of like, shot, she's good. She's my succeeding kind of like it's thinking with one head and it's not the right one, you know. So Jinx gets captured and Graves electric shocks sir with his glove bullshit. He like he's fucking electrocutioner from Batman. Shocker, I think fine. And the whole uh Oh, you you know anything about ergonomics? This is still a, a suitcase and whatever, and it's We'll talk more about that later. Um, more speed ramps, just for Zal's jacket. Cause that needs a focal point. Why not? Hmm. Jenks says some yo mama jokes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was another one of those dated references. Like, oh wow, cheated. Hit him with the yo mama. Like, and then and then Jerry realizes she's not going to talk, so he's just going to go shoot her. Like, it's like like no Bond villain ever who's just going to pull out a gun and just going to shoot her. And then Mister Kill, the most useless henchman of all time, says, "I want to use the laser." Yeah, I want to use the lasers instead. And Zhao's just uh, like, "Just fucking do it." Yeah, clean up your mess, mess. <laughs> yeah. and then and then for some reason instead of just aiming the laser directly at jinx <laughs> he says i'm gonna do this dramatically i'm gonna put it slightly next to her neck and move it slowly towards her giving bond just enough time to like to cut a fucking hole through ice with his watch laser which is really cool because it's like yeah. golden eye and he uses the rebreather from thunderball which i'm like ah yay pop for that no. I appreciate them doing it, but it's just it's more about it's more about the fact that Mr. Kill has decided to uh, kill Jinx in the most mm. like, hmm, I wonder if anyone's going to turn up and see me doing this yeah. type of way rather than just, you know, pointing the laser at her head and obliterating her with it. And it's like, clearly they're sitting there thinking of themselves, we're referencing Goldfinger. And it's like, yeah, well, with Goldfinger, he's got one laser. And it's slowly going up to Bond, who he is trying to get information out of, to an extent. He does say, you know, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. But it is an interrogation of sorts. And this is just bad, because on top of that, Mr. Kill walks away. So you can't even justify the idea that he's doing that because he's savoring watching the moment. He walks away enough where Bond does get a chance to go there and start unstrapping her, and then Mr. Kill attacks. So Mr. Kill's not just standing next to that, watching. He's off on the side and not in enough time to be able to stop Bond. Mm -hmm. So what the hell is he doing this laser thing for? It None of it makes any sense because they thought... Wouldn't it be cool? And they do the same thing with there's tons of lasers flipping around. They're dodging them, but they don't make any attempts to make it look like they're actually dodging the lasers because it's all just, you know, we'll CGI it in the background. So it's completely unbelievable because they're just acting like they're having a fight sequence and it just happens to be in like a, you know, they're playing laser tag instead of these things are supposed to be harmful. I hate it. With a passion. Oh, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's terrible. And like the South more lasers, Bond eventually manages to turn it off as well. Jinx, even though she's still swinging on this thing, chained up, manages to grab hold of the uh, another laser pointer. Mr. Kill has Bond strangled up against the wall and he's going to uh, finish him off. But then Jinx, in one of the most brutal kills in the entire series, even though it doesn't look great because of the CGI as well, Shoots a laser through the back of Mr. Kill's head out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm Mr. Killed. <laughs> Good lord, Tony. <laughs> That's what they probably would have had in the script, you know? Mm. More like Mr. Killed. <laughs> Is that maybe there's a deleted scene somewhere where Brosnan just goes, now he's Mr. Killed. Or even worse, he just pulls out another tomorrow never dies. If I didn't know any better, I'd say he's Mr. Killed. <laughs> no, it make it even worse to just go, oh, Mr. Kill? More like Mr. Dead. 
I do like the one joke in here where Jinx says if Bond doesn't shut off the laser, she's going to be half the girl she used to be. I like that one. Uh, it turns out she's an NSA agent. So they're on the same side, as she says. Yeah. Hello. You know, ding Where dong. Hello. <laughs> uh, Bond notes that Graves is moon and he drops the, you know, so you live to die another day. And Graves says that he patterned this whole persona off of Bond. Oh, don't want to miss the, off the point where um, Jinx manages to get out of the room by cutting off oh, Mr. Right. Hill's hand. Yeah, and just casually throws it off to the side. It's just like thump. You know? <laughs> he didn't need it. It's also revealed that not only was Miranda the traitor that set him up, but she also took the bullets out of Bond's gun. So, you know, thanks for bringing your gun to bed with us. And okay. she. What, what's that? So, th- so this is my biggest issue with the whole film. Why? Why what? Why did Miranda betray Bond? Oh, well, they say that uh, Colonel Moon and Miranda were on the same fencing team. And that he rigged the Olympics for her. Okay. So for ricking the Olympics for her, that bought her services essentially forever. And they've just been, you know, friends and everything. So she right. infiltrated MI6 to help Moon. But why Bond? Because he's Bond, MI6. Bond agent. was sent to Korea, but how did he know that Bond was going to go to Korea? Oh, I don't think that he knew that Bond was going to go to Korea. I think that she found out that Bond was on the mission and screwed up. Okay. Right. Kind of like, you know, she, he's, she's the inside person. So she's like, Oh, that's happening. I'm going to get the jump on that. And probably just didn't get a chance to contact them in the meantime. Cause Colonel moon thinks it's Mr. Van, v- Man, uh, Van Bierk. Right. And if it weren't for Zhao, he wouldn't know that that's his name's James Bond, a British assassin kind of thing. Um, it it just feels a bit flimsy to me. Just like he rigged the Olympics for her to win, and that means that she's basically she's going to screw the entire MI six organization for him. Yeah, I mean it's she's the bit. one that sets up the thing with the uh, more than anything else. She's the one that's responsible for the um, got a blanket on it now. The the message that gets sent, and they go well. They tracked it to that area, so they think that bonds given the information that's miranda right i mean I, Listen, I kind of was... the point is that glory is more important than loyalty to any kind of country any kind of anything just she won the olympics that's all she ever wanted in life and now she's uh, a servant to this guy what, what i kind of enjoyed about it was just the fact that like the reason the reason we find out that Bond had these bullets taken out by Miranda is because he just goes to shoot at her. Yeah, just right in the face. <laughs> just click, click, click. It's like, oh, imagine if that scene would have played out like that, and he's just like, blam, blam. Just yeah, so his, his plan at that point, knowing that he was surrounded and screwed, is I'm going to kill the person that betrayed me and then get shot to death. Well, so she of... was the only one with the gun, right? Graves didn't have the gun. No, but, well, Jao was coming in, wasn't he? So I think Bond probably realizes that he wasn't going to get out of it in that regard. Maybe he thought he could just <laughs> shoot fast enough. It's you know? almost like we 
said with the whole Mojito line, like, <laughs> maybe he's just forgotten how to do this. Like, I kill you now? Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Bring he's me the old forgotten. firing range. <laughs> he's forgotten all subtlety, all everything. He's stuck thinking the whole thing's still a virtual reality. What is real? What is not? Uh, Miranda, of course, knows that the watch is going to be a gadget. And she says, hand over the toys. Which is nice that he's just like that, but she doesn't know all of the toys that he has. And um, there's a bunch of quips in a row. Uh, one of them deleted. Um, Jenks, in this time, has been captured and sealed in a room that's going to start flooding with water. And one of the lines they cut from this was, she was going to say, Jinx is chilling in my room, which is a very Arnold Schwarzenegger, Batman and Robin line. But we get three quips in a row. Bond says he missed Zhao's sparkling personality. Zhao punches him in the gut and says, how's that for a punchline? And then Miranda says, it really is death for breakfast. Which, you know what? Okay, you know, considering some of the other dialogue that we got in this movie, it's, it's not all that bad. Bond uses that little ring on his finger to break the glass underneath him, and we get some more on Her Majesty's Secret Service-inspired music, which is really cool, because the score is one of the only redeeming factors of this movie. Uh, note about that, the choir, when they trigger Icarus, and they, they got like that, like, oh, 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 it's a Korean choir. Guess what they're saying? Bond, Bond, Bond. No. <laughs> you want to take a guess, Gallon? No, because I think you'll be offensive if I did. Look at that big umbrella. Accidentally be offensive. Was it? Look at that big umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) And it's almost like if you replace that with those lyrics, it has that tone to it. So it's almost like, look at that big umbrella. Like, kind of thing. Just imagine that these people are, you know, this Korean choir is like, oh, we're doing something for a Bond film. Like, we're going to work on this today. And they're like, here are your lines. Like, look at that big umbrella. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> you know? This chase scene is crap. Utter crap. Yeah, the special effects are, again, just absolutely atrocious. The laser is close to Bond and it's further behind and it's all over the place just to build up the suspense. Get a, like, a little line in there as well. Um, the um, the scientist henchman just say, hey, boss, he beat your time. Going yeah. super fast on the speeder. Just to have that little jokey part. I mean, to be fair, it gets worse. Like, like I think this is bad, and then the next scene happens, <laughs> and it's just like I, I, I think that there is a strong argument to be made that the next thing that we're going to talk about is like the worst special effects in any movie in the two thousands. It's up there. It's really bad. And it's something that Lee Tomahari was like, I want this in my movie. Bond has to, at some point, and the way that they executed in this is he takes his rocket car, flies over the edge of an iceberg, gets captured on the side of it, uses a parachute and the like flap door, whatever you want to call it, to go parasurfing with these terrible CGI chunks of ice. And it's the single most maligned shot of the film. Everybody goes rightfully so directly towards this. It's just like, all right, this is jumping the shark. This is awful. The idea itself isn't bad. 
it's the CGI and the execution of it that kills it. Cause we've seen bond, you know, on like, uh, on skis, we've seen bond in a submarine car. We've seen bond in space. We've seen bond, uh, like on surfboards and you know, the California girls thing and whatever they could have done this and it could have been kind of cool. And instead it looks so bad. Irredeemably bad. Mm -hmm. Is this the moment where they decided, all right, next film we're rebooting the franchise. I think that's the moment where Brosnan said next film, we need to go back to gritty. And he pushed for it really hard. And they were yeah. like, yeah, we agree. You're you're out of here. <laughs> Which is like, damn it, you know? It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's just... And I, I, the concept of the idea is good. It's just, if you can't do it any other way than this, then you need to just scrap the idea. Because mm-hmm. it's just... It just looks awful. Like It's not even just the CGI pieces of ice. It's like seeing Bond's little cutaway silhouettes through the water and stuff like that and just the way that it's positioned is just so like even for the time it would have been ropey i mean when i think about bad cgi the the things that immediately stand out to me in the in 2000s it's this it's the mummy returns yeah and it's son of the mask never seen it you're not great yeah i can't (laughs) imagine i'm missing anything (laughs) No, you're not. It's just these, like, it's just people that want to put something, like, it's just people that seem to think CGI is flawless. It's like, if I put CGI in it, then it's going to look good, no matter what. And they just don't know how bad this stuff can come off if you don't do it correctly. Yeah, this is just... Flat out bad. There's no putting California girls over it. <laughs> they bring back London Calling. I mean, I I tried. Doesn't help. So Bond heads back on a snowmobile, gets back into his car that conveniently nobody's bumped into by now, even though it's right there. And of course, as soon as he gets into it, then somebody rams into it and alerts him of uh, his presence, and we get another car chase. So we've gone from rocket car to. Uh, Parasurfing to snowmobile to invisible car versus Zhao's car, which has just as many gadgets. It's got a thermal imaging and a machine gun. And this is all noise, slow motion, speed up shots, explosions that don't matter. It's quantity instead of quality. And it's completely forgettable. Yeah. And during all of this, so like Zhao's chasing him all over the place. And then during this time, Graves points Icarus towards the building and he's going to use, he's basically his plan is. I'm going to kill Jinx by melting the entire building on top of her. Yeah. Instead of just putting a bullet in her head. <laughs> well, that, the there's no one, there's no, there's, evil thing ever. Come on. There's no artistry to that. <laughs> oh, I know. I'll, I'll just kill. No, no. I got to melt the whole building. Ridiculous. Yeah. And so during all this stuff, so Bond sends two snowmobiles flying in the car. It's like the main things that he actually does with the car in terms of actually doing damage is ram them into people. <laughs> like he's got he's got rocket like he's got rockets. He's got those shotguns and he's got all this other stuff. But he uses that primarily defensively, or it like cancels out the rockets that Zhao is using. The his actual main offensive weapon during this type of thing is knocking into people. 
As one does. With invisible cars with yeah. hundreds of things in it. And then, and then so they get to the so Bond gets into the place. It was just like him driving into the building, and he just sends two snowmobiles flying, which was just hilarious. But like, then he gets into the place, and then they decide, oh, we're just gonna keep driving around, keep driving around. Jinx is drowning, Jinx is drowning. Just gonna keep driving, keep driving, keep driving. Go all over the place. <laughs> see how much mind you can get out of it. Jinx is drowning. Jinx is now underwater. She's basically dead. She's basically dead at this point. But we still gonna keep following Bond and Zhao around. And then we get to the point where he's trapped, and. Just at the moment that Zhao is going to ram him with his car, with it, which now has a giant spy coming out the top of it, coming out the front, uh, Bond's uh, cloaking system comes at just the right time to him disappear, uh, pull his car backwards on spike tires up a wall. And so Zhao goes off into the water with his car. Bond gets out, and Bond doesn't immediately go looking for Jinx. He has to deal with Zhao first. Which he does by shooting a chandelier that falls on Zhao and impales him. I do like this death because it's like just I know it's one of those trope things of like the same with Trevelyan almost where he's just laying there and he's just waiting for the thing to fall on top of him. Doesn't make any effort to move. I mean Trevelyan it would have been difficult obviously because he'd fallen about five hundred feet. But it's but so Zhao just looks upwards and like starts screaming and then it's the it's the blood splatter afterwards. It's not really a splatter but it's like the blood in the water afterwards that really does it for me. And that's uh, that's your main car sequence, the movie, which on paper, it's like it's got this and this and this and this. And it's so hollow. Mm. It, it is too. Over, it is too overblown. Bond uh, drives into Jinx's room, tries to free her, throws her in a uh, uses the sonic ring to bust out the windshield, throws her in a vat of water and starts rubbing her chest and gives her mouth to mouth. And he's just like, it's warm here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, so, so this, I'm pretty sure this would put her into thermal shock. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you kind of can't go from Super drowning in ice hot. water to being in a steam like that and yeah. not have some complications, maybe. It's a movie. Maybe yeah. you can when you're Bond. Instead, she you just goes, uh, hey, what took you so long? And he's like, we're kissing now. <laughs> Uh, even though she can't breathe, you know, so Jinx suffocates and dies, and then um, <laughs> back at a U.S. command bunker in the DMZ in South Korea, they meet up with MI6 personnel, including from the U.S. Damian Falco, because the U.S. and the U.K. are working together now. They have a little bit of back and forth about, well, you didn't tell us about uh them being on the same fencing team, and you know, well, if it wasn't for your guy, this, and then it's kind of that whole thing, and it's ultimately it is kind of the Americans' fault. Because they didn't say it. So, you know, we wouldn't oh, be in this man. mess if it wasn't for you. You know? Damn, why are we so dumb? Yeah. Why are we, Callum? <laughs> uh, don't get We've been going long enough already. Don't really have time. To... <laughs> Bond and Jinx fly into North Korea using these personalized glider things called switchblades. Do we constitute them as a uh, gadget? Yeah. I would. Maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, they're they're robotic, like planes, but they're yeah, they're they're U.S. gadgets. They count, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Just well, not keep okay. uh, Missiles fired at Icarus. It's the same shot from another movie that they just CGI'd a little bit differently, and the CGI looks terrible. 
it evaporates in awful fashion because even in 2002 they couldn't get that right cheap as hell come on they uh they sneak aboard a plane and the rest of the film is going to take place in there and again another extra level of bad on a lot of these things so Graves at this point is put on a robo exoskeleton. Oh, well, <laughs> before we even get to that, yeah. Uh, we see two sports cars and a helicopter in the back that you're supposed to remember. But the thing you're talking about, yeah, it's meant to be played as serious. <laughs> this is... Uh, just it, keep, keep going. We'll get there. Everybody laughs at this because I don't know how they didn't realize how stupid this was. General Moon goes to meet with Graves and he turns around and it's this whoosh kind of thing. Wearing this goofy bodysuit with these fucking goggles that Vlad's made him. And he starts speaking in Korean and he's revealing that he's Colonel Moon. And it looks fucking ridiculous. He looks like a little kid wearing some kind of like, I'm a robot mom kind of thing. Like, you ever seen the Backstreet Boys music video for Larger Than Life? Yeah, like, this is terrible. Why did they not, on the day that they were filming this, go, come on, guys, this is, no. We're laughing here, like. Oh, man. Yeah. This is right about the part where I go, all right, okay, but, you know, more was cheeky, like, this is bad, but okay, like. Maybe I'll still say it's shaken, not stirred. And and then he kills his father. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that he killed his father. He killed his father in super slow motion. In uh, super yep. slow motion. And I, I'll keep this brief, but this is the part where I text Tony, update, stirred. <laughs> he is fucking oh, yeah. Yeah. slow motion and I'm like fuck <laughs> Boy, we lost the plot here what so, the hell so, and then so, so that happens and then Bond forgets the cardinal rule that he taught himself in Goldeneye which is don't shoot inside a plane <laughs> Goldfinger Goldfinger sorry yeah Goldfinger yeah. One. third but, film um, in <laughs> Yeah, and then he shoots, but he's knocked over by a henchman, and so the bullet goes through the window, and then uh scientist dude is pulled out immediately. It's like, bye. Just along with, there goes Vlad. Uh, yeah, yeah, along with all three of the Korean generals. Yeah. Now, like, nice seeing you. With the plan being explained here, I'll give credit to two things that I like here. One of them, the tension theme motif is playing again that we established in the previous david arnold stuff that ding 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 so i'm like oh great we get the tension theme cool love it when david arnold does that kind of stuff and i actually like the idea of we've got a satellite that can do this kind of thing and it can take care of all the missiles that somebody would send its way but it's also wiping out the minefield i'm like you know what okay he's not going to do the hovercrafts he's going to do it this way I'm on board, but I'm not on board with uh, you know, knock off Iron Man <laughs> and uh, all the gene therapy and all the other kind of things. It's like it's too much. There's 19 things going on here. I'm gonna get my rocket car and my ice palace and my satellite, and I'm a different person now 
and we got hovercrafts and we got the minefield and oh man it's just so general moon gets killed as we said you know kind of death miranda and jenks have a sword fight oh jenks has knives kind of and miranda's wearing this like bra basically <laughs> she looks great like i yeah I don't, know, I don't know why she's lounging around on this plane wearing that and carrying a sword, but you know, pretty much they just said, wouldn't it be cool if she looked sexy? And she does. Well, it's before, slightly before that. So she's held at sword point by Miranda when she's in the cockpit. And so she decides to put it on autopilot, but direct it directly into the beam. Mm-hmm. And so the plane goes through the beam like disintegrates in all places except the places that they are in like it's on it's on fire it's just gone into the power of the sun and survived (laughs) the thing that can wipe out the mines below it but you're higher up and it's less uh effective missile in the air yeah but i guess they didn't go through the center of it they just caught the outside of it (laughs) so i guess that's fine it's only slightly sun at that point but um and then when it, like it's a, it's a one on one on both sides, so it's Bond against Graves and Jinx against Miranda. Ridiculous slow motion, of course, constantly, just all going on. And then and then so Miranda and Jinx's fight ends like they they have a, a fairly decent sword slash knife fight. You have bits where like Jinx runs up a wall and flips over backwards because she's trying to be Waylin. And <laughs> there's some and jokes then, too. I'm gonna have to try something more to the point like, kind of thing. Mm. But, th- but then it's like the um, Jinx grabs a knife that sh- she threw into the Art of War book and so she blocks one strike by Miranda and then hits it right into the chest of her so basically you've got the Art of War and a knife through Miranda's chest and she kicks it further for good measure that's after Miranda had said I can read your every move so Jinx mm. says read this, read this bitch, bitch. <laughs> And I knew the bitch was coming, like, to the point where I said it with her, because it just felt like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the time where you would say bitch. And it wasn't in the script with bitch. She just said it, because it's like, well, yeah, that's we'll natural, you know, at that yeah. point. With that delivery, you have to add the word bitch at the end. Can't just be like, read this. And and then, people would be and like, we end- bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. But then we enter the um, the classic Bond uh, villain territory. Because no. Graves is electrocuted Bond and has him down, so he can basically kill him at any moment now. But he decides instead, oh, two parachutes. Yeah. Oh no, only one parachute now, and that one's for me. And, so, and then, oh, yeah. Rob, Rob you, you said how bad this line is. So, and this line that he comes up with to deal with like after he says like um time, time to, to face, face destiny. destiny yeah yeah and sure. then bond realizes he's got an opportunity and he pulls the cord and so the um parachute, his parachute goes off and so he's dragged out but say he dragged that plane he's holding onto the side and then bond says the one of the worst lines in the entire franchise time to face gravity <laughs> <sighs> God, it's slow me. Like, what the <laughs> <fuck>? <laughs> It would be better at this point, despite the fact that it's not a Bond trope. But instead of saying that line, if he would have just been like, fuck you, <laughs> I just killed him. 
Now it is kind of cool that he gets sucked out of the plane and gets diced up real good, slap chop mode in the engine. Oh, I but like the that. line is just god awful shit. It's just the fact that it's like he's trying to face gravity and then he goes into a plane. He goes into the plane's engine. He doesn't fall. Yeah. He doesn't go to the ground. He's just like he doesn't even fall like, to get to the part of the plane. He goes to the left. <laughs> yeah, he just flies backwards. It's just like, and then he just goes through the road. It's just like you might as well say, "Time to face Blender." Yeah, just will it blend? <laughs> Why isn't it a line about his name Graves? Like something about sending him to the grave, or shooting him to the moon? Yeah. <laughs> or again, to the moon like Cameron Grimes. <laughs> it could literally just be shut the fuck up and kick him out of it or something like. It's really bad. I don't know why they didn't sit there and try to think of some other ones, because they could have done more takes. Even, like, maybe spit something back at him that he had said, like, you know, let's get to the point, or what's the point, or... Well, shocking, get under isn't the it, skin. or something like that. Uh, yeah, shocking, isn't it? Or, let's get under that skin, shall we? Yeah. Anything. Just anything. <laughs> Time to face gravity. Oh, my friends call me Bond. Jesus. <laughs> I wonder if there was a draft of this or an inkling that they would have said uh, something about, like, uh, you know, I, I live to die another day. Well, you only live twice. Because this is his second life, and then it's like, you're dead now. Mm. I wonder if they would have played around with that. And maybe that could have worked, even though that's on the nose. It would have been better than time to face gravity. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the world saved planes crashing though. Jenk says, I think I broke her heart. And then she says, looks uh, like we're going down uh, together. Which in a reference to the living daylights, they escape by falling out of the back of the plane. This time, instead of a Jeep, it's a helicopter. There's more bad rear projection type stuff. And Bond says, you said something about going down together. And then they do. <laughs> but uh, well, not there's, mid flight because there's, yeah. there's a very uh, is thing is great. There's a transition. It's odd, What's that? It, it's so odd though. Oh, we transition out of that. You know, they fly away. Mi six. Money Penny's typing up a file about Miranda Frost. Bond comes in. They share a look. She fixes his tie, and they fucking kiss to David Arnold's recurring love theme motif. And I and everybody in the theater at the time fucking lost it. <laughs> I'm talking cheers in the theater like you had with like Avengers Endgame with like Mjolnir. People were, myself included, were just like, oh my god, they fucking did it. Bond and Moneypenny are kissing. This is this movie's going to end with Bond and Moneypenny together because it's the 20th. This is insane. This is crazy. Bond swipes the desk off. He puts her on it. She gives out the O James. And the music swells. And it's just like, oh my god, this they're going to end the movie like this. And Q interrupts it. <laughs> She's got the virtual reality goggles on, and Q says, it's quite hard, isn't it? She's like, oh, very. Well, buttoning, buttoning up her top. Yeah. And in the theater, everybody went, ah. <laughs> so just like, 
damn it. It was, it was it was a nice fun. It's almost like an Easter egg in a bomb movie. <laughs> yeah. At this point, knowing what we know about like the movie, the franchise being reset, and a whole new continuity, you could have just ended it there. Like Bond and Money Penny stay together. It's twentieth film. Everything's happily ever after. Money Penny deserves this. Bond's been captured for fourteen years, so maybe he's like. You know what? Now is the time to settle, settle down, and just stop all this craziness. No, because no, we can't have that. So <laughs> instead, what we get is Bond and Jinx, where Jinx is uh, more innuendos. Oh, put it back, put it back. Don't pull and, it out. It's a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the diamonds. And uh, she says that, uh, you know, she's so good. Even when you're bad. Especially when you're bad. Oh, and that's the oh, end. It's, oh. God. Like, oh. As much as uh, the gag with Money Penny works for being a joke, if they would have ended it with that, that would have ended so much better with like Bond actually just being with Money Penny. The line, well, especially when you're bad. It's like, man, Brosnan doesn't get a chance to redeem that. Oh, and I wrote down, apparently on the end credits, I saw that somebody's name in the script, one of those uh, people we see at the end, is named General Dong. <laughs> I just thought that, that was funny. Uh, Jill and Bond pseudonym or something. Yeah. Also, the last part of the song in the credits, so the last thing we hear in this movie is the line in the funky version of the Die Another Day theme where Madonna says, I need to lay down. So that's the last part of the movie, is I need to lie down. That's very Madonna to get the last word in. (sighs) Fuck. (laughs) So, all that to say... This movie is very much stirred. I don't even want to bury the lead here. It's stirred. It, the final 20 minutes of the film is just straight up trash. It's all throughout the film. I'm trying to find redeeming qualities. The final 20 minutes of this film made me so angry that I must have said at least five times this week, I just want to talk about it now. I wish Callum would watch the movie just so we can get settled. <laughs> like, ugh. Awful. And such a damn shame because Brosnan has a very good record where his three movies are up there for all of us. Golden Eyes, number one for me and Tony. I have Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, The World's Not Enough very high. Callum does as well. Tony does as well. And then this fucking movie happens. It's terrible. There's so much about this movie that could have been really good. And then, of course, there's so much of this movie that's like, haha, gotcha. <laughs> we can't make that recipe work. Let's take um, chocolate and peanut butter and sugar and uh, liver and... Uh, I mean, I've yeah, and like let's just mix a bunch of other things together into there. Let's put some hot sauce and let's put some um, God, what's that thing that's uh, 
It's sort of the EU or something where it's like people can never really smell it without just vomiting. <laughs> like, had some of them in there, some bad dialogue, some of this, some of that. Die Another Day is so flawed. And when you look and you break down the elements of it, which we're going to do here, it's not necessarily like one particular thing. It's just that some things just flat out don't work right. And like, say, for instance, uh, talk about these characters. On our allies' side, we've got Money Penny. She's Money Penny. She doesn't really do much, but she's Money Penny. She's got her main part at the end there, which is really good. And Money Penny's always a win. M is great. Yeah. Uh, Q. Uh, the new okay. Q is fine. We get uh, Robinson. He gets time to you know, do some shooting and stuff. Like Robinson's cool. Damian Falco. I buy him. I think he's all right. He's pretty decent. And we've got Raul, who he's not great. You know, he's no Karim Bay, but he's a lesser Karim Bay, and he's about the mid-range for me. I got him below Rosica from The Living Daylights, but he's above, like, say, Luigi from For Your Eyes Only. And I like Mr. Chang. Like, I like the allies. I think the allies have a thumbs up. The allies are, the allies are typically a thumbs up. Because they're really hard to mess up. And M, great work here. Money Penny, not her finest film, but the scene at the end is fantastic. On the gadgets, we've got the switchblades, we've got Jinx's cell phone bomb, we've got the car, of course, is a major, major thing. We got the surfboard, the transmitter knife, the VR goggles, the detonator watch, the laser watch, the sonic agitator ring, the rebreather from Thunderball, the dream machine, kinda, the jetpack from Thunderball, the snorkel with the bird on top and Goldfinger, the piton gun from Diamonds Are Forever, the attache case from For Your Eyes Only, or From Your Eyes Only, from, from Rush With Love, the personal jet from Octopussy, the crocodile submarine from Octopussy, Rosa Klebb's shoe, and Little Nelly. Thumbs up on the gadgets, even if it's a little bit weird. Some of them. I'd say so. Yeah. I don't really count the ones that were in the. That weren't actually used. Yeah, but even so, then, the, the ring, the, using the rebreather again. Oh, no, which no, no, should... they're, they're, all, they're all positive stuff. I'm still saying the gadgets are thumbs up. I still don't count the ones that yeah. were just there as like window dressing. On the uh, music side of things. I love the score. And Die Another Day is my number 19 ranked song. Even though I really like the song and like I like listening to it. It's just that it's not... I'm not going to rank it higher. Because uh, I think that, like, overall, I think uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, for instance, is a better Bond theme. I know that Calum's going to disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. The music here is great. But... I, I just, I think I like them more on their own outside of the movie. I'm, but I'm overall, gonna, thumbs up. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Thumbs up, I'd say. So currently, right now, it looks like Die Another Day would rank either right above or right below License to Kill, if I'm looking at this correctly. So we've got 
Live and Let Die. It's got a current score, like a uh, average score, ten point six 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 seven. Um, it's tied with License to Kill. Where is License to Kill on everybody's list compared to Die Another Day? Calm's got Die Another Day at ten. License to Kill at sixteen. Rob's got Die Another Day at eight. License to Kill at sixteen. I've got Die Another Day at nineteen, and License to Kill at six. So realistically, Die Another Day gets above License to Kill, even though I uh. I go the opposite, but that's that's the math. And um, yeah, after going through a whole bunch of these, where we had you know Living Daylights, Vita Will Kill up there, and some different things, like uh, here we are back with Diner of the Day being on the mid to low range for that, but still not the lowest one. Lowest one right now, still all time high. Not my lowest one because I have underneath the Mango Tree, but um, these guys haven't done those ones yet. Um. If we talk about the villains, we've got the terrible Mr. Kill, the completely forgettable and not good in any fashion Vladimir Popov. We got Zhao, we got Miranda Frost, and we've got Gustav Graves slash Colonel Moon. General Moon is a villain, but different sort of thing, too. I don't like him. I go thumbs down. Very rarely do I go thumbs down on anything. I just realized that. I'm look. I'm gonna say, even though I said thumbs down on the overall film, I'm gonna say thumbs up here because it's like, it's not, it's not their fault that the movie is shit. Yeah, you know I mean, like they were no different than any other villains in any other Bond film. It's just that this package was presented like shit. I think there's some that are definitive thumbs down. I'd say overall, you're probably looking at a thumbs down just by the averages of people. I think I, I, you know, I, there are bits of Graves that I like, and I think Frost does some good stuff, and Shao does some good stuff. The other two are completely non-entities. So I think I think overall though the negatives outweigh the positives for them. I like Miranda being a traitor. I like Zhao having the diamond face. And I think Gustav Graves could have been a good villain without him being Colonel Moon. And I think Colonel Moon could have been a good villain without him turning into Gustav Graves. But I don't think Gustav Graves being Colonel Moon works. So if they would have given me Toby Stevens as Gustav Graves, as this guy that has some kind of a connection with Colonel Moon and it's a different story and it's whatever, I think that that could have been better. But then they wanted to do the whole Gene thing, so they wouldn't have. That wouldn't have worked, you know. But there's that. There's... uh. On the Bond girls side of things, we've got Miranda Frost. We've got Peaceful Fountains of Desire. <laughs> we've got Verity. And we've got Jacinta Johnson. Jinx. Very uh, very much thumbs up. I got um, Verity towards the lower end. Peaceful Fountains of Desire isn't super high either. She's below Jenny Flex for me. I like her a little Such bit, a but, name. you know, she's not super important I got Miranda Frost right now at number 25 and I've got Jenks at number 20 
Yeah, number 20. That's why I've jinxed it. Again, if, I, if I'm taking Money Penny out of the equation, I have her at 12. And then I have Miranda at 30. 30. So you've got Miranda underneath Tiffany Case and before Bambi and Thumper. You got Bambi and Thumper higher than I expected that you would. Wow. I mean, I, li- I like the I like the fight scene they have. What can I say? Your uh, turn. I put Miranda Bambi. down there because I, I just think that she's. I mean, I know that's kind of her character, but she just lacks personality. She doesn't really jump off the the screen. And then Verity's really low, and I've got Peaceful Fountains of Desire third up from the bottom. Who do you have her? Yeah, the only people you have lower than her are Mademoiselle Laporte from Thunderball, and Dink. (laughs) Dink is the lowest. Uh, Poor Dink. She's just just a transition thing. She's just giving Bond a massage and then she goes away. That's basically. I just put those people towards the bottom of people that just have zero influence on the entire story. They they might as well not be there. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny, though, to think that it's like. To make the case and being like, Dink is lower than Chew Me. <laughs> but it's like Chew Me. Well, Chew Me know. was naked. So it's <laughs> <laughs> just like, bye. <laughs> so, I when I do, I'll say this, when I do rank all the women, Bambi and Thumper won't be at the very bottom of my list either. I don't know why you always go to Bambi and Thumper as like, yeah, this is pretty low. I thought they were fine. <laughs> They're the second... Uh, from the bottom for me. The only one that's lower is Panho. Bambi. And do you guys remember who Panho is? No. Exactly. <laughs> Panho is one of the women that's working for Zorin. Okay. And they're like, oh, she's a femme fatale. She's it's like, no, she stands there in like two scenes. Who fucking cares? <laughs> you know? That's why I haven't ranked her. It doesn't count. <laughs> so where would you put uh, Jinx and Frost and everybody, Rob? Relatively speaking, because I know you don't have your list up. So, oh, for this film in particular, it would be Jinx, Frost, um, Fountain of Desires, and Madonna. And I think overall, they'd all probably land in the mid-range based on, like, all the women we've seen throughout these films. Then, uh... We're giving a thumbs up, thumbs down to the girls. I'm... Kind of thumbs up. I'm not I'm not a high thumbs up. I'm I'm a thumbs up, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's a little struggle. Peak, and I thought Miranda Frost was really pretty. So, for those two alone, it gets thumbs up. Yeah. It's like it's barely up. It was up fully when uh, we saw Jinx for the first time, but it like wavers towards the boss. Bond keeps his tip up. Oh, and I forgot to mention that uh, Graves currently ranks for us right now underneath Renard and above Blofeld from Secret Service. If anybody wants to keep track of that, we don't have Bond girls ranked yet because we have to do that's there's way more Bond girls than there is villains. At least for the ones. We're not ranking the henchmen. So ultimately we switch over then to action and humor, which I think Thumbs down. It's thumbs down. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because the action, while plentiful, is fucking jokey. And the humor is... Is too thick. Is too thick and not at all the smooth Brosnan humor we've come to now. It's, it, it like transfers this, the uh, subtlety for just like hitting you over the head with sledgehammers constantly. It's again, it's another quantity over quality type of thing too. There's more jokes, but they're not as funny. There's <laughs> more action and there happens to be these speed ramps that are going to convince a lot of stupid people that that's fun. But I'm not a moron, so it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, when you see... uh you ever have like somebody that you talk to and somebody says that they really like a movie and you go, what did you like about it? And they say something like, um, I'll always go back to this quote that, uh, I always thought was really funny. Somebody once told me I liked it. It took up an hour and a half of my time. And I'm always just like, that's the benchmark. Okay. You know, you can paint my wall if you want. It'll take up a lot of your time. I'll knock myself here. I feel like those are some of my reviews sometimes, (laughs) but you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. <laughs> so we're going thumbs down on that. And then we got to say whether or not we thought the movie was shaken or stirred. They, not only did they stir this movie, but they stirred it so much that I got nauseous and threw up. <laughs> it's shaken. It's barely shaken. Shaken. There are only, I've told you, there's only three movies that I consider stirred. Doctor No is the benchmark, and Die Another Day is one step ahead of Doctor No. I do have Doctor No a step below Die Another Day, and I've got it in the same ranking spot that you do, Um, but I still go stirred. Because even though... Dr. No was something that I enjoyed more this time around than the last time in reference to a lot of how it is. I'm like, you know what? But I just don't want to watch it all that much. Like, and I will watch die another day more than Dr. No, but that's not saying much. So (laughs) actually, even though Dr. No is my benchmark for shaking stuff, I might still give die another day stirred because it doesn't have the excuses that the older films have. There's not like this one took the benefits of what today's technology, or at least at the time's technology, can offer, and made a worse movie because of it. And yeah, maybe it's stirred. Doctor No is a movie that, like, for its time, I think that it's good, and it's hard to watch, and there's parts of it that are just kind of boring, and I don't like when they switch over to pretty much when they get to Jamaica in a lot of ways. But there's elements that are really good about it, and whatever. I still have a couple things below this, like because a lot of what ranks for me is whether or not I want to watch it. And the exception is kind of Diamonds Are Forever, because Diamonds Are Forever is a more fun watch for me than Doctor No, but it's just a fundamentally worse movie. So. I put that still at the lowest. Diner of the Day is fifth from the lowest. And barely fifth from the lowest, too. Like, that's could very easily be third from the lowest. And I know I was, a lot of people would argue it should be below On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but at least for right now, I'm still not comfortable enough moving that up just because I just don't like watching that one all that much. 
I was very concerned for a minute that Callum was going to say it's shaken because I believe that I'm more of the optimist here, and I tried for this to be a shaken film. I really wanted to be like, well, it wasn't as bad. But I mean, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm even it's third with the caveat is just that I probably would watch this again. Like yeah. I said, that the, 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 three, that... the three movies at the bottom are the ones that I think, because Diamonds of Forever is funny in areas, but it's a bad movie. And the other two are movies that I really just don't want to watch again. The other so... two being You Want to Live Twice and From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love, yeah. Which I really thought you were going to love. I'm still so surprised about that. <laughs> it's, again, I said it in the actual podcast, if you You're want to go back to it, but it's like, I'm just going to repeat it here. It's a love story where I don't believe the two people are in love. Yeah. <laughs> so... It would be interesting to see if you end up rewatching that one, if your opinion goes higher or lower about it, because it might even go lower, if that's uh, the case. I don't think it'll go lower than Diamonds of Forever, because it's a, it's a better movie than Diamonds of Forever, and the, the reason why you only live twice is right at the bottom, because it's absolutely racist. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have nine other day just below when you only live twice. Um, my benchmark for like whether or not I really enjoy the movie is pretty much a beatable kill. That's my lowest of the one that I can really kind of defend. And that's my number 13. Spy Who Loved Me is one that I just, I can't get in Spy Who Loved Me as much as everybody loves it. So that's where it starts getting into like that lower range. But Diamonds Are Forever, For Your Eyes Only, that kind of thing. So the current ranking right now, I'm not going to read it all off. We'll eventually go through this. But uh, Diner That I, of course, doesn't come close to upsetting GoldenEye, License to Kill, etc. from the top kind of ones. Man with the Golden Gun, etc. Uh, Dino Day currently ranked at number 17 on our combo list. It is, uh, if we're going from bottom to the top on the bottom five, Dr. No, Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice, Dino the Day, then for your eyes only. Anybody who thought we might end up going, Dino the Day is great and it's whatever, because I know some people would probably think that about why is the world's not enough and tomorrow never dies up as high. Doesn't apply to Dino the Day. <laughs> Yeah, it really doesn't. Yeah. I, again, I, th there's parts of me that really wants to like this movie, and it, it should have, if it had been done and shot better, it could have been, like, the actual premise and the basis of the story could have been something really interesting to go with. Because like, I, I see the torture scene at the beginning, and I kind of feel like, oh, good, this is, like, it's a new change of direction, this is a new start. To a Bond to a Bond movie that I haven't seen before, and so I'm immediately invested, and then the whole rest of the movie starts to just uh, tear away that goodwill. Yeah, and I think it's a shame that this is the end of Brosnan, and everything from here on in is kind of a new continuity. But overall, he went out with a fart. Yeah, it's really taken into account the line, especially when you're bad. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, well, we got to move on. Why? Well, the last movie didn't perform all that well, especially when it's bad. So we will, um, of course, carry on with the Daniel Craig stuff going on forward. We are done so every one of the bonds except for our current bond. The series yeah. is wrapping up. Scary. That's. That's so scary that we've watched all these movies so quickly. And so I'm so ready to get on to Craig now. <laughs> I am very excited, of course, to watch one of my absolute favorite ones coming up next. And then I'm excited to rip the other one to shreds that comes afterward. 
Oh yeah, we can definitely do that side of it. And the, the best thing out of it is just that I obviously we're gonna enjoy because in our hour regardless. But the best thing I when I clicked onto a quantum solace just on on the Amazon where I usually order the stuff, I just saw one hour forty five minutes and I went fucking thank you because <laughs> <laughs> these mo- I like I, I love most of these movies. They are long movies. <laughs> Casino Royale is, uh, it's either the longest or the second longest. Um, I think uh, Spectre is the longest. I think Skyfall might be up there too. They've been kind of just getting longer. I think they they all hit around about the two two and a half hour mark. Corner of Solace though, they managed to get it to a concise one hour 45 because, and that's what happens when writers don't want to work. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) we don't have much of a movie here. What do we do? I don't know. Not have much of a movie. That's basically what you do. Of course, so, we'll get into that in uh, two films, but round things out here with some plugs. Just to remind everybody, if you want to help support this series and Fanboys Anonymous in general, there is the like button, there's the join button, there's the Patreon, there's all the different ways you can follow and subscribe and share this and pass things around and tell other people about the series. If you've got any other fans and friends and whatever who are um, fans of the series and they have a fondness for the bondness, as we've said before. And if you are not subscribed to the channel, do that already. Do the same thing for the pro wrestling stuff over on Smart Cut Moment that I mentioned before about the first blood match and whatnot. And you can follow me at Tony Mango and check out, of course, everything that else is happening and whatever I've got going on. And you can check out what these guys have going on as well. Rob? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter and everywhere else at Dude Felice. I have no idea where this falls chronologically, but I do think now that I have made some strides that Twitch is at least moments away from starting, and I'm excited about that journey. Uh, follow me and my work on Fightful.com and WrestleZone.com and everything I do on the wrestling side of things, including some of the retro podcasts that I've done with Callum Wiggins. Tell them about it, Callum. Yeah, so we've done a few uh, retro podcasts over on the Smart Cat Moment channel, where it's on YouTube or the podcast feeds. It's 2001, A Wrestling Odyssey, and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. We go back to the years 2001, obviously, for 2001, A Wrestling Odyssey, and then 2002 and 2003 for the Paul Heyman Smackdown one, where we just review shows, review news at the time, just to give you a glimpse into the wrestling landscape at those points in time. Uh, yeah, it's plenty of fun time, so check all that stuff out, as well as everything else we're putting out on Smart Cat Own channel. Uh, visit smarkermoment.com for all the weekly articles and every other article that's going out there weekly or not including the power rankings my week to week contribution and you can follow me on twitter at weekmeister14 you guys will be hearing this on June 11th we're recording this on the 17th of May so in case anything real big changes and they go ah actually this was a different part of the movie and we go ah that's why we didn't talk about it it's because it was a month ago kind of a thing (laughs) you know just to keep that in mind but Hopefully your June is going well so far. So uh, stay tuned if you are on the wrestling side of things for this weekend's NXT TakeOver in your house review. That's true. That I'm sure we'll do. Yeah, and uh, coming up soon after that, Hell in a Cell as well. That's right. And uh, of course, coming up after this is another one, the 21st of the series, because James Bond and the Review to a Kill podcast will return with Casino Royale. <laughs>